we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready-hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is southernsense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare with southern-sense.com. That's 
southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeart, half a dozen other places. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my guest co-host, the one, the only, Uncle Ted, former congressman from the great state of Florida, Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you doing today? Annie, I'm doing wonderful, and I appreciate you having me on. looks like you got a great uh, lineup for your guests today, and I look forward to talking to them. Yeah, we're going to start off with Isaac Lopez. He's the head of communications at Red Balloon. Um, we had his uh, his boss, Andrew, on last year when they started off, so they're now in their second year. It is conservative-based. It is if you're looking for a job or if you have job openings, uh, if you're looking for suppliers or businesses you want to do with that are of the same mindset, they're not woke. They're real people. Uh, you can go to Red Balloon, and we'll be talking to Isaac about that and a lot of other things. Now there's a worker's bill of rights that they're working on, a right to work. Imagine that. No unions, no wokeness, no vaccine mandates or whatever. Pure pure, unadulterated, right to work the American way. Uh, we'll be talking to him about that. Uh, also, we have John O'Connor coming back. I love this man. I can sit back and just let him take over. <laughs> it's like having a professor run the Yeah, room. he's a powerhouse. The, yeah. Oh, yes, he is. He is. He's the author, of, as you remember, of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. And a matter of fact, uh, my neighbors were recently a victim of that, and boy, Annie went to bat for them and hit below the belt, and I swear I got not only a retraction to be done, but they redid the broadcast and are rebroadcasting it tonight with all the corrections and apologies in it. Oof. You don't get you don't get this little guinea pissed off because she's coming for the jugular. <laughs> anyway, that um, says a lot that have, if you were able to get them to do that, that's a good thing. Within 24 hours, uh, and that's that's the miracle. Good job. Uh, we also we also have the uh, senior fellow at the Independent Institute and director of the Institute's um, Center on Peace and Liberty. Now, this is going to be a very interesting interview because I have a funny feeling he may be an anti-Trumper. So we're going to see what sort of a dance he does with us. But he's going to be talking about a lot of other different things going on right now. Uh, Ivan Eland. Uh, and then we're going to finish off with our guest from the Heritage Foundation. She's the news senior news producer for the Daily Signal, Virginia Allen. A lot to talk about, a lot to do. And, oh, wow, Ted. My head's already spinning. <laughs> we haven't even started. Yeah. Well, I'm, I know you'll give your listeners what they're looking for, and I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I want to welcome everyone that is in our chat room uh, here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as up on Facebook and YouTube. We are active up there, and we are also broadcasting and video broadcasting on our 
home webpage, which is the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm still working the kinks out of trying to get a little bit more professional-looking video, but hey, it takes time. I'm old. I'm technologically challenged. We'll get there. Eventually, we'll get there. (laughs) I feel your pain on that because I'm the same way on that. Oh, man. Uh, Bear with me as I'm trying to close out some windows on the other computer. So we are up live there. Uh, Ted, you know that every show we start off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Chief Deputy Sheriff Jody Wayne Cash of the Callaway Sheriff's Office in Kentucky. His end of watch was May 16th of 2022. And this comes from various sources, including the Officer Down Memorial page, WPSD Local Channel 6, and what is this last one? And I didn't put it down. What is this one? Bear with me. Uh, it is from theledger.com. So this starts off reading. Deputy Chief Jody Cash was shot and killed in front of the Marshall County Sheriff's Office at 52 Judicial Drive in Benton. Marshall County Sheriff's Office incident response team arrested a subject for outstanding warrants. While at the Marshall County Sheriff's Office, the man was interviewed by Deputy Cash and a deputy for the Marshall County Sheriff's Office about an investigation unrelated to the warrants. The prisoner asked for a smoke break, and the deputies escorted him outside with a third deputy. While smoking, the prisoner pulled out a concealed handgun and shot Deputy Cash. The two other deputies returned fire, killing the subject. Chief Deputy Cash was taken to Marshall County Hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds. Deputy Cash had served with the Callaway County Sheriff's Office for one and a half years, and had previously served eight years with the Kentucky State Police, six years as the Assistant Chief of the Murray State University Police Department, and six years with the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office. He survived by his wife and two children. From Jane Kim of WPSD, Channel 6. It was a night of mourning of a life taken too soon and a time to remember a man who impacted so many. Jody Cash's home church is Hardin Baptist. Members prayed for Cash's family as they remembered his life on that Wednesday night. Cash was the deputy chief for Callaway County. He was killed in a shooting at the Marshall County Sheriff's Office the previous Monday. You know, we gather tonight differently, said Pastor Ricky Cunningham. Our hearts are broke tonight. Cunningham opened the service with a prayer to honor Cash's life. A heart that loved to serve people, said Cunningham, describing Cash's serving attitude. He would call me from time to time just to see what was going on, if there was anything he could help me with. And so, the main thing I would say, he's just a servant, and with the people, is always caring. Cunningham says that before Cash died, he went to a men's small group with the church just that morning. There's a lot of heartbreak in the law enforcement family, and of course, in Jody's family, 
said Cunningham during his opening prayer. He said he was heartbroken over the news. Got a text that said he passed away, he said. And when I went to the hospital, of course, several of the policemen were calling me, telling me where to come. Through it all, Cunningham said there is hope. Most of us, our life will go on. But these guys and his immediate family, there's going to be a void there that's deep. But our faith is going to see us through, said Cunningham. At church, Cash helped with the children's ministry and with the God's special people, a ministry for children with disabilities. Murray City Administrator Jim Osborne said he believed Cash was the first law enforcement officer in Callaway County who had been killed in the line of duty since Murray Police Chief Novell McReynolds was killed inside the police station in 1957. He said he had known Cash for years from when Osborne worked for the Murray Police Department. I knew him most of my career, Osborne said. He was either at Murray State or KSP, or then with the county. He was just a great man. Murray Mayor Bob Rogers said he had known Cash since he was a boy because Rogers was the superintendent of the Caldwell County School District when Cash was growing up in Princeton. Cash's mother also worked at the Board of Education office, Rogers said. I was superintendent at Caldwell, and his mother worked for me, and he and his sister were students. So I've known him a long time since he was a little bitty fellow, Rogers said. He always had a smile and was always enthusiastic and a pleasure to be around. When I moved here to Murray in 2005, I found out they had come to work at Murray State. Speaking at the funeral, Jody Adair said he would sometimes introduce himself as Jody's best friend. But over the last few days, it became clear to him that Cash had a thousand best friends. Adair said Cash always had a smile on his face and was quick to share a joke, often using humor to break down walls of people he didn't know. I would do him a great disservice today if he were here and we didn't laugh, Adair said. Jody would be disappointed, for if you knew him, he was always going to make you laugh whether it was funny or not. Adair recalled being in Sunday school with Cash and bringing his daughter Mia with him one week. On the way home from church, Adair said his daughter, his daughter delightfully repeated a joke that Cash had told her. What did the red light say to the green light? Don't look up. I'm changing. If you know Jody, he tells you a joke, and most of them weren't funny. They were dad jokes, Adair said. And the thing about Jody is that you saw him laugh at his jokes so hard, it didn't matter if you laughed at them or not. Nathan Kent, who is currently the chief of the Mayfield Police Department, was the commander of KSP Post 1 in Hickory during the years Cash was a state trooper. Also speaking at the funeral, he said he first met Cash when he was second in command at the Murray State Police Department and during his time at KSP, Cash was chosen by his peers as Trooper of the Year Post 1. Cash said, Kent said Cash served as public information officer and detective 
before being promoted to sergeant, all of which are positions of trust. He said Cash also was awarded the KSP Citation for Bravery, which is bestowed by the KSP Commissioner only when an officer acts voluntarily in a moment of clear, obvious peril above and beyond the call of duty without regard to their own life. That sounds like Jody Cash to me, Kent said. He said Cash also served in a Drug Enforcement Administration Task Force as a CCSO Chief Deputy. In short, Jody's entire life has been in service to others, Kent said. Jackson and Madison, your dad is an example to everyone else. Jody taught you, and by extension us, how to be a gentleman. Your dad was a kind and caring man. Jody taught you kids how to be genuine. Not everybody is. He was. Your dad is a man of character, and we should all be so lucky to have said that about us. Addressing Michelle, Kent said her husband was an honorable man and could always be counted on to do the right thing and was the most thoughtful thoughtful person he knew. Jody was skilled at making you comfortable, he said. It didn't matter if we had lunch yesterday together or if it had been a few months since we had seen each other. It didn't matter if we were talking on the telephone or if we were in person. He always greeted you the same way, without fail, for 20 years. Every time I talked to Jody, he started out by, Hey, buddy. And I can tell by the crowd's reaction, I wasn't alone. Today's show is dedicated to Chief Deputy Sheriff Jody Wayne Cash. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to each and every one And please hold them dear in your heart. This song by Todd Allen Herndon, my friend. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
Hello. Others gave it to me. Hello. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants. You envy my power. to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR, Media Lone Star, Daily News, Global Patriot Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Speaker, YouTube, Facebook, oh, iHeart Radio, half a dozen other places. Oh, forget about it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my guest co-host, the one, the only, the infamous Uncle Ted former Congressman Ted Yoho from the great state of Florida. Ted, are you ready? Can you hear me, Annie? Did I lose? Yeah, I got you. I got you, Ted. We've got with us no. as our first... What? Well, I'm sorry. What did I do now? Nothing. I was just going to say that was a great um, uh, tribute to Jody Cash. And there's we see that too often, unfortunately, that you can do one... You know, every show, um, it's something that needs to come to an end. Yeah, it does. And recently, they just had the funeral today. It's two state troopers that were ambushed up in Connecticut, and it never ends. Um, and yeah. that's one thing you never want to do is stand there, which I have done in uniform, in formation, as you lay a brother into rest. Uh, it's not an mm, easy thing. Right now, thing. I've got chills. It's, I got chills going up and down. Uh, but yeah. As we move forward, let's move on to brighter things today because we've got a lot to talk about. And we've got a guest sitting here on the line, Isaac Lopez, who is the communication director for Red Balloon, which is now, I believe, in its second year. Correct, Isaac? Uh, thanks for having me on, Ann. And, yes, we are in just second year. We just passed our uh, year anniversary back in August. 
Ah, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. We had Andrew on when you guys first opened up, so I don't know if you were with him at the time. But it is it is a fantastic uh, website and organization that he has formed, and it's much needed today out there with all the wokeness going on, and now with these ESGs, uh, 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 equity, uh, social, uh, social, uh, social justice, and what is it, governance? Do I have that correct? Uh, that they're putting out there. So, if you don't have an ESG rating that is up to the woke crowd requirement, you are now canceled culture. This is getting ridiculous, isn't it? It it is. And unfortunately for many businesses, they're chasing non-existent uh, social points, but ESG gives them something to hang their hat on, even if uh, it's uh, vile. It is. It is. Now, Something that you guys are doing over there, you're putting together something called a Workers' Bill of Rights. And I signed up for it, so I'm waiting to see it you know, come into my inbox. Tell us about what this is. Yeah, so we, uh, our legal team put together the Employee Bill of Rights and Responsibilities, which lays out five rights and five responsibilities that employees have in the workplace and also to their employer. So obviously we all want to know uh, our legal rights when it comes to pushing back against woke mandates and woke vaccine mandates and all of that, but we also want to know how to operate in good standing because if you act well, you're going to actually put yourself in a better legal standing later on if you're in a woke employment office. So we are uh, uh, lawyer, Laura Baxter. She was uh, she graduated from Harvard, practiced labor law in the woke epicenter uh, in California for two decades and recently just moved out to Idaho. And she put this together for um, the millions of employees in big tech and woke workplaces across the U.S. Yeah, I have the article that uh, Katie Boma put up uh, in my little fat hand, and uh, it's it's. She said, "If you want the government to leave you alone, you have to have some measure of self-governance." Well, that's the problem we have today. Government doesn't want us to have self-governance; they want us to bow at their altar. So, how do we reclaim our self-sufficiency and self-reliance? That's a great question, and it's all about playing the long game because that's how the government uh, has been able to grow so much in the last few decades is because they laid the groundwork over the last century or so to be able to become much bigger than they should. Uh, So as far as what we can do in our personal day-to-day lives is to make sure you're aligned with people that aren't going to stab you in the back. They're actually going to help elevate you, your company, and your values. And so once you have a movement that's well-organized from the ground up, from uh, a lot of people term it grassroots, but really it's just you living out your values day-to-day in your workplace, at your job, and how you vote, that's how you slowly make uh, a groundswell, and that's going to carry momentum in later years. And so what we encourage in the Employee Bill of Rights is to think right now but also future-oriented because you want to make a change in your workplace. You also want to build workplaces that your children and their children can work in and be proud of and not have to uh, pretend to be someone they're not. You know, what you need to do is find like-minded people to surround yourself with, but that's the whole main point of Red Balloon, hooking you up with like-minded people 
to help boost your business. I mean, we are a capitalistic society, but for some reason, the wokeness, which is actually a Marxist theology, uh, doesn't want capitalism. They want to destroy it. But that's what our, our nation has been founded on. That's what made it so, so great, the entrepreneurship, the independence, the self-reliance. It sure no, that's, that's, is. Annie, can, go ahead, go ahead uh, Ted. Mr. Lopez. No, no, no uh, I want to hear what no. said, Ted. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Ted. Number one, it's an honor to have you on. And, you know, I think of uh, Rush Limbaugh always talking about the nanny state that the government has created. And you're right, it's been over, you know, a period of time. It just didn't happen under uh, O'Biden or under Obama. This is something that's been going on. And I think of the great society that Lyndon Johnson brought into place that, you know, uh, gave people what they wanted to keep them where they're at. And uh, with the advent of Red Balloon and what you guys are doing, my hat's off to you because out there, if you're somebody in a big corporation and they get come down with these mandates, it could be in the military and these other things, if they come down with these mandates, that individual can't do a thing about it other than quit, usually because they don't have the resources. So somebody like you that gives them an option of where they can go to get rid of the wokeness, to get rid of the ESG, and I I agree with you. I think the ESG scores is atrocious, and I can only think it's the the liberal left working in conjunction with a lot of our government agencies and bureaucracies that have – allowed that to grow to the state it has in these big corporations and um, people like um, uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock, who is really promoting this ESG um, mindset, and it's it has nothing to do. Uh, it's not a government mandate. It's industry, but it's led by people in those big corporations, but it's also supported by the bureaucracies. My question to you is, you know, you know, I look at unions, and I was in a union, um, you know, back in my youth, and I've talked to a lot of people. They have to pay their union dues, and they that money doesn't go to where they want it to go when it comes to campaigns. And, you know, probably 98% of that goes to Democratic candidates. Um, how do you address that with um, um, Red Balloon, with uh, union companies? Have you done that, or is that a, um, something you haven't crossed yet? Yeah, that's a great question. We haven't uh, come across that yet. Actually, in our uh, in the Bill of Rights that we just put out a month ago, uh, we encourage in, uh, employees to consider employee groups, which sounds and rings a lot like unions, but uh, the sole purpose of that would be to find community to push back on human resource policies that doesn't uh, line up with uh, freedom in the workplace and to be able to have a community and not just individuals because that's what we're seeing right now across the U.S. is an individual stand up because they have a backbone, but then they will just face the full force of the left alone, um, and one swing will generally take them out or uh, it will just be a knockdown, drag out fight, which one individual alone cannot sustain. So we, we encourage uh, people of really of any ideology that uh, hates what's going on in their uh, company to be able to form together. Well, there's a lot. A lot no, I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Go ahead. I've, I've owned businesses. I've owned businesses. I've managed businesses, and you always have that one person that's always the I would call them the nudge, 
<laughs> there's the New Yorker in me. The nudge yeah. comes out. And they make the most noise. So, of course, they get things done. However, if you had five, six, or even ten people that got together and said, wait a minute, this guy's a pain in the butt. Uh, that's not how we feel. We're comfortable in the workplace as things go this way. When they come in, they are disruptive, and it's counterproductive to your having a successful company or business. So we're here to help you and make you the best you can, but this person's causing problems. That means more to you as the resource officer than if that one person comes in and then you say, well, now we have unisex bathrooms and we change everyone's pronoun. Right. Um, Mr. Lopez, what kind of businesses are you seeing sign up for this? Um, uh, are they mom and pops? Are they larger size, you know, 100 employees or more? Or what are you seeing in, in general? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's generally small to mid-sized right now. We've seen uh, plenty of companies that are just starting up or have been around for a while and they're across industry. We're seeing quite a concentration in uh, the tech space. The independent technology world is really getting underway, and they're finding a lot of values alignment with uh, job seekers on our site. Uh, So we have right now over 2,000 employers that have signed our pledge to not – basically, it's the Constitution, um, basically, that they will not uh, tread on anyone's rights, that they will not enforce woke uh, CRT, DEI trainings, and all of that on their workforce. So – uh, right now, it's a collection of small to mid-sized companies, but we're finding that they're willing to hire for culture over location. We understand that if you go to our site today, there's a map with uh, of the United States and it shows where all of our jobs are posted by pinpoints on the map. So if you scroll down to your area, you may not find a lot of positions in your area right now, but we're adding employers every single day, so we've been encouraging job seekers to Sign up and make an account and wait for job alerts as we our team work to expand nationally. I think that's yeah, a I'm great program, and I hope you the most success in that. I'm sorry, Annie. Go ahead. Well, now I was pulling up the map right here for South Carolina, and I see up in Columbia area. I'm looking down here. Nothing in Charleston. Hmm, nothing down here by me. So we've got to get you guys down here. You're actually up in Simpsonville, York. Charlotte, yeah, um, you are expanding. This is a lot more than there's down in by you uh, in Atlanta, uh, Ted, because uh, you're in Georgia right now at your other home. Uh, I am. Peachtree, Macon, uh, Warner Robins. Uh, let's see, uh, outside of Fitzgerald, uh, ah, here in Florida, Tallahassee. So yeah, they are expanding. A lot more than what I saw last year, and I'm so glad that you guys are finally getting some momentum in this. And it's it, your website from what I saw last year to now is absolutely expanding. Uh, you've got yourself a blog, and people can join either for free or if they're an employer, have uh, be able to do their postings in here. And a standard for just a month gives you unlimited job postings of only $200. That's not bad for a company that's going to be spending thousands upon thousands on an employee, just a mere $200 to get in a good employee in there. And then you've got the premium, which adds even more with helping build the company culture and helping build the team and so forth. There's a lot that you're doing to help people get their business successful. 
It's true, Annie. And one of the things that isn't listed there is a free option, and you can post a job with us for free per month. So you can post one position for free per month, which isn't really heard of in the job board space, but we're trying to add as many employers uh, to bless at our thousands of job seekers that are continually scraping our site every single week. So uh, that's one of the things we're encouraging. You kind of touched on it, but we're now offering the Freedom Academy, uh, but to any of those who are paying customers um, who want to know how to build a good company culture that isn't run by uh, uh, an HR team that's out of whack so um, and trying to be too big for their bridges. So what we're trying to encourage uh, business owners, employers, and young entrepreneurs is to look into that because uh, eventually if you're doing and running a business well, you're going to be hiring and you want to have a culture, a company culture that's uh, welcoming but productive and healthy as well at the same time. Yeah, well, as you know I was what you scrolling said right around, there. oh, I was just going to say something that's really great because as I was scrolling around, your little counter on this on the page for those employees that have taken the pledge has now jumped to 2084. Wow. Go ahead, Ted. <laughs> No, I saw that 2084, and I commend you for that. But what he said at the end of that I think is, is the key takeaway for the employer, but also for the employee, and that is we want to create a culture where product, productivity is, you know, maximum for the employer and for the employee so that they get the reward out of, of working in a uh, um, um, business that is going to look after those rights for an individual. So, I, again, I think it's a great idea, and um, I'm sure Annie's going to ask you, how do we get that word out to more people? Go ahead. I, you just asked for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I figured I could I could field that question then. But um, I think one of the ways is exactly what you're doing right now is um, allowing us to have a platform to come on your show, which very grateful for that, to be able to talk about this opportunity. Because right now, like like I said, we're a year and two months in, so we're a really young company. Uh, but we're basically – you or someone you know is probably looking for a job or is thinking about switching jobs because we have all this data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics saying that there are uh, just a high rate of people looking to switch jobs. Um, and a recent study came out that 64% of Americans at one point or another this month have thought about switching jobs. And now that's a long way from actually going to switching jobs, uh, but that is occurring right now. And so if you have someone or a friend who owns a business who's looking for talent, encourage them to come to redballoon.work, even if you're not uh, looking to make that job change right now. Yeah, it, it, Great it is redballoon.work dot work not dot com not dot org dot work because that's what the whole thing is about the right to work you know we had touched on briefly the dei uh diversity equity and inclusion uh movement which is the same basically the same thing as esg just they changed the initials it's the same thing it's the marxist wokeism that we're finding creeping through businesses and people are actually losing their jobs, not because they're not woke enough, but because of the color of their skin. Now, I thought we had a civil rights legislation. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ted. We do have civil rights legislation that you cannot discriminate against someone based upon their sex, 
their their ethnicity, their race. Um, but yet, because you're white, you lose your job. I thought, wait, 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 wasn't that illegal when if you were black, you lose your job? So now the opposite, if you're white, it's okay? I'm not understanding this wokeness, or am I being... No, dead? I mean, <laughs> you're absolutely right. We've got legislation on there. Sarcasm. And, you know, if we, if we go back to the founding of the country, we had the Constitution that, you know... Um, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, and they go through all the things, but we keep adding laws and laws and laws. And um, what we do is we keep adding to the bureaucracy, and the bureaucracy is the one that really comes in here. And then we empower the administrative states that I think we talked this on last last week's program, where they have the power to write the rules. You know, Congress authorizes what they can do and gives them the money but then they leave the rulemaking up to them. And that's where a lot of this quagmire comes from that protects the woke company that wants to be woke. You know, they can put this stuff and um, say they're protecting civil rights or, you know, human rights or gender rights. And um, that's why companies like Red Balloon that say we are not, we are a company that is, or they, they enlist companies that say we are not going to, subscribe to that we're here uh, to create a product or create a business and a service and we're not going to you know hold people accountable to wokeness well you know isaac i want to ask you this because we've got companies that are now being completely woke and here's a perfect example kane west or yay or ye whatever he wants to be called that's his business uh is supposedly has just bought parlor now, because of that, because he is now a conservative voice, supposedly, uh, he's now wants total free speech on Parler. Uh, J.P. Morgan has broken off relations with them. So does Red Balloon have anything to help facilitate someone in that position where they find suddenly the companies that they have been doing with, these bankings, these lenders, and these other institutes that they've depended upon for their business that they can hook up with now through you? and say, let's get back on track? Yeah, we actually have a number of uh, payment companies uh, that aren't woke, that are really focused on conservative and really just American values, because that's what's going on here. The woke economy is leaving everyone behind that isn't in their mob. Uh, And that includes not only conservatives, but also centrists and classical liberals and even some leftists, right? People that have raised their hand questioning the narrative or that's enough to get you sidelined or, you know, worse, kicked to the curb. So uh, we do have some of those companies, but we've also partnered with Public Square, which is an app uh, that is a nationwide marketplace that helps you find companies with your values that have pledged that they won't force masks in their uh, workplace or in their uh, coffee shops or um, different stores that are on there. And you can go on there and find places in your local marketplace that you can support with your dollars. So that's an easy way of finding substitutes in your areas. There are banks on there as well. Um, and what I, I kind of want to backpedal to what uh, you guys were talking about earlier, and uh, this uh, wokeness that is taking corporations by storm is going to impact the bottom line. Uh, Gallup poll recently came out and said that uh, worker dissatisfaction was at an all-time high 
Uh, 60% of workers are feeling emotionally detached from their workplace. And when you get that, that actually begins to affect global uh, domestic product. And Gallup did the math on it and said that business units that have happy and productive workers are 23% more profitable um, for their company. And so if you factor that out, if you have a bunch of workers who are dissatisfied, it's going to affect about 11% of GDP. And that's somewhere in the $7 trillion that companies are losing because they're forcing woke madness uh, down the throats of their constituents. You know, it's you funny know because in many... Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry Annie. <laughs> I was just saying, when I was, for... <laughs> yeah. when I was working for American you Express first. back in the 19... 1980s, I noticed back then we didn't call it wokeness. I called it political correctness. But they would go around every year looking for you to take a portion of your paycheck to donate a portion of it to some company. And I was looking down the list at the time that they handed me, and there was only one out of all of them that I felt I could put my money in and feel good about that was a conservative you know, cause. Every last one of them was a highly liberal and highly questionable charity. And if I saw this with American Express back in the 1980s, I, sh- I shudder to think about what people are facing today. So, Ted, I'm sure you can attest to what I'm saying because we're about the same generation here, very close, just a few years apart. Uh, but how it has changed to where it was very quiet and was subtle, but now it's in your face. Well, I think you opened up with, with personal responsibility, or Isaac did, about, you know, watch after your own self. And, you know, let's not worry about too much what somebody else said. When I was in Congress, you know, it was the Me Too movement, and it was all this craziness. And we had to go to seminars at the taxpayer's expense, and we had to sign up our office in the up in D.C. and in the district. And if... If a if a lady got on an elevator, had a nice dress, and her hair was nice, and you said, well, that's a nice-looking dress in your hair, we could get um, an ethics charge against us on that silliness, and that was probably four, four or five years ago. And it has just ballooned now, again, with the liberal left and with uh, people like Larry Fink of BlackRock, who was at, the, uh, uh, at Davos at the World Economic Forum, talking about... Uh, if you're not a woke company, you won't be in business in the next 15 years because we'll make sure that. So you've got corporations like that that are putting pressure on these other corporations on the banking industry, and it's just like Isaac said that, uh, you know, Kanye West on Parler, uh, Chase is leaving them as far as allowing, you know, to advertise on that. What we need to do, and, Annie, you know this as well as probably better than anybody, is the groundswell movement, the grassroots movement, uh, similar to the Tea Party movement, because there's 78 million people or over half the country or half the country that voted for Donald Trump that is the people that are going to bring this in and the people that are going to subscribe to Red Balloon. Those are the ones that are going to make a difference. It's not going to be government mandating what we do because that's more rules and regulations. It's the American people waking up and said enough is enough. We're going to change the dynamics and run these companies out of business is what we need to do. That's a huge yeah, I think that's what really do you say to that, Isaac? Because, 
<laughs> no, I totally agree. He's spot on. There was a study that came out uh, of all the Fortune 500 CEOs, and 70% of them said that they made their social issues statement for their company, right, whether or not to wave the pride flag during June, whether or not to plaster Black Lives Matter everywhere. They made those decisions, 70% of them did, based of what of what their employees wanted. So there's some internal survey, uh, maybe a, a, an employee group that was extremely loud, uh, swayed these employee uh, employers and CEOs to say certain things in the public sphere. And so if we feel like we are being outnumbered, um, it's because our own are not speaking up within these companies because Gallup did another poll that showed that conservatives are the largest ideological group in the U.S. And so if that's the case, partnered with that study, that means that there's a lot of conservatives that are keeping their head down at work, which you can't say you blame them because conservatives are the best at walking a mile with a rock in their shoe. Um, and they're right. good with discomfort, but they really just want to focus on a good day of work. Um, but that joy is being taken away from them, whether or not they say anything. So they might as well put up a fight for future generations. Well, you know, it's the silent is- majority is the conservatives and it's time for us to stop being silent. We need to speak up and say enough's enough to this garbage. Well, that was one of the speeches I did on a, one of my our nine uh, eleven uh, rallies we had when I we first started the Tea Party. That we are the silent majority and silent no more. We've got to give them the avenue to have their voice back once again. And I'm hope I'm doing that here. I hope I'm doing that by highlighting you with Red Balloon. And I need to learn a lot more about this Public Square app. I'd love to learn some more about that, you know, because I've got my eye on this nice little Kimber uh, 9 millimeter, and I can't use my PayPal, and I don't think I'm going to be able to use my Chase credit card to make the purchase. We've got to find alternatives out there. And right, that is a very nice gun. I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it. I like I like my little Ruger 380. That's a nice little tight uh, you know, concealed carry, but I, I was eyeing this piece, and I, I've got just got to check it out. But Isaac, what do you say to them? I say, hey, listen, um, you lose more if you don't speak up, or even if you lose your job, where's the safety net? That's what they're going to ask. Yeah, no, there's, that's the thing is that we're encouraging employees across the country, whether or not they work for one of our companies, to do this. Um, but we feel that we have the ability to say that because we are the safety net for these employees should things go right. So there is a long process to go before you either leave your company or get fired. And obviously, we never want to advocate for someone getting fired, but at some point, there's a line that you're going to be pushed across that you will not be able to sleep with uh, with yourself at night, right? You won't be able to um, tell your conscience to ignore it. Uh, and that line has been crossed by hundreds of thousands of conservatives, and it's not a good place to be. You don't feel right, and you feel even worse about the company you're working for. So what we're trying to build is an opportunity and an ecosystem for you to go to work and you can be proud of the job that you have and the company you're working for uh, and know that they don't hate you and your values and everything you stand for. They just like the fact that you make them lots of money. And so why not go make lots of money for a company that lines up with everything you agree 
with uh, politically speaking and with your values. So uh, we, we encourage people to stand up and know that we have your backs and we're your safety net. All right. Well, are there lawyers like on standby so if someone does get fired because of wokeness, I'm sorry, uh, you're too white, or I'm sorry, you're a Christian conservative, or I'm sorry, you're pro-choice, pro-life. Um, is there a legal <laughs> ramification or a legal regress that they can seek, or do you have the ability to direct them in that in that area? Definitely. We have uh, a couple lawyers already, and we've had more kind of floating into our, our space. But there's uh, uh, Laura Vaxer, who wrote the Employee Bill of Rights, and there's obviously um, uh, legal uh, maneuvering that you can learn in that uh, booklet. But you can also contact her. If you have any questions, just reach out to me, and I can always connect her. I'm, uh, my email is isaac at redballoon.work, and that's I-S-A-A-C at redballoon.work. And we also uh, are partnering with uh, Paul Davis, who has been a huge uh, defender of employee rights, and he's actually starting his own course to teach you exactly what you need to know with different situations in the workplace, and we're partnering with him on that uh, and helping him find job seekers that want to know about that. So um, I can introduce anyone with questions to those two, uh, and there's a lot more uh, people out there like First Liberty, um, we've we've done some stuff with them. So there's there's some good people out there that are ready to have your backs. Uh, but the Employee Bill of Rights is a good place to start. You can get that redballoon.work slash bill. It's completely free, and it shows you how to put yourself uh, in good legal standing before you get to a lawsuit. So that way, when the lawsuit do, does come down the pipeline, you are set up for success in that lawsuit. Well, I've got one big final question, I think, for you. Um, because, as I said, when I looked at the map, I noticed nothing in my area. And we're the heart of the military tri-command. We are solidly red in this area. Uh, do you put together seminars or something like that, workshops, where we can get businesses as well as people seeking employees together that are like-minded that could you know, tap into Red Balloon, your resources, and start working with you to build a Red Balloon community here? Um, we do, we've done things like that, and we do have the opportunity um, to connect uh, through our customer success team and through our marketplace. If you're, if you're a business owner, we have a directory for you to just call and talk with other owners in the area. Um, but Public Square is the app that you should check out if you really want good community and know how to organize with people um, and you're not just looking for a job. Uh, because they have discussion boards, groups that you can join in your area for all different kinds of things. I'm on it. I'm in a running group. Um, it's still it's still uh, getting off the ground, but I just joined it uh, because I wanted to see what it was like. And uh, it's a really nice feature in their app. Well, you know, I, I do run a tea party down here. I have been since 2009. And I'm thinking that for one of our meetings instead of doing a meeting putting something like that together where i can get business owners uh, that are like-minded that are not woke uh, that are looking for good solid employees who just want a good job and fall into the workers bill of rights and get them together uh and using you and public square to uh facilitate that how does that sound is that something that you can do absolutely 
Yes, um, and I think you already have my email, so uh, I can uh, get the ball rolling on our side and get with our friends over at Public Square, and I think we'd be happy to help organize things over there. Oh, that'd be great because it would be after the beginning of the year because the midterm election is over. We're going to take a deep breath. <laughs> And pray that the phone doesn't keep on ringing, looking for donations every five minutes. <laughs> so, again, where can people find you? Um, you can find and apply for work at redballoon.work. That's uh, W-O-R-K. I can understand that that's a little um, different, but .com sounded too much like communists, and we wanted to just get back to work in this country. <laughs> so you can go and apply for work there. Um, and if you're a company, um, make sure you post with us and you can start out, just test the waters. Um, there are companies that have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in headhunter fees by just posting on our website. Uh, they said that we basically saved their company because we saved them all that money and got them quality candidates um, within a very short amount of time. Gee, if we keep this up, I might start a Red Balloon Chamber of Commerce here. <laughs> <laughs> the woke chamber of commerce. <laughs> oh, I could be a troublemaker. Yeah, really. <laughs> Just give me a Yeah. <laughs> well, Isaac, it has been a pleasure. Give Andrew my regards and tell him I'm sorry he couldn't join us today, but we will have you both back in the future, in the very near future. Very great. Thank you, Amy. All right, Isaac, God great talking to you. Good job. Good talk to you, sir. Yes, sir. Have All a good right. One. Check out redballoon.woke. Uh, it is an excellent website. And it's a shame I no longer own a business and I'm not looking for employment. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be tapping them in. <laughs> Better than LinkedIn because you just might get banned up there, you know? <laughs> right, Ted? That's right. Uh, you'll get banned. I mean, they're out there doing that. Um, I really appreciate uh, you letting me be on. Um, I'm going to have to bow out right now, as we talked about, and I'll be back between um, the next segment after this break. Okay. We will be talking with you very shortly, and be safe out Thank there. Thank you, Annie. Yep. All right. Uh, as we're waiting for our next guest to uh, call in, I want to do a little bit segment here on my own. Um that uh, something came across the other day. Uh, dear friends of mine, uh, they're neighbors of mine, uh, there happened to be a Gold Star family, and um, they're highly involved in working with veterans and in the community to help veterans. Uh, their son was killed in Afghanistan by a IED uh, back in April of 2006, actually on April 15th, of, yeah, uh, tax day, uh, 2006. So it's been now 16 years. And one of the things that uh, Corporal uh, Winslow, Ryan Winslow's father and mother, do, like I said, they're very involved in the community, especially with the veterans, is there is a wall of heroes and those that have been killed in the war on terror since 9-11 that tours the entire United States. And it's coming here to Buford next month in a couple of weeks. And... The local news station, WJCL, uh, did a segment on it. And I didn't catch the orig original segment that was on um, what's today, Wednesday night. I missed that. I saw the segment Thursday morning. So I sent George, you know, Ryan's father, a text and said, just saw it, great interview, blah, blah, blah. He was furious because the night before they had described his son as dying in Afghanistan from suicide. 
Now, if anything, you don't do that to a Gold Star family. You don't uh, put out there the wrong cause of death. And I immediately shot when I found out about that. And they asked me, did I know the station manager? Did I know who this was? Do I have anyone I knew that I could talk to uh, to help correct this? Um, so as soon as I saw this and as soon as we texted back and forth, I ran a quick little email off my cell phone to the station owner manager, which is run through Hearst Papers. And I wrote to them, the subject was, how dare you? And I wrote, you ran a piece last night with George Winslow and the National Veterans Display coming to Buford. That in itself is highly commendable. However, you need to retract that you described his son as committing suicide. How dare you? You call yourself a newsman? Where did you get your facts? Or like lamestream media, make them up. You cause great pain to the Winslows and need to broadcast our retraction with a public apology. I worked with men and women who fell in the line of duty and those who committed suicide. To blithely substitute one for the other with utter disregard for the feelings of the family, friends, and brethren is beyond despicable. How dare you? I did a proper research and last year dedicated one of my broadcasts to their son. How hard would it have been to have your staff take five minutes to do even a cursory search? I remain, and I signed my name. I didn't get a response. So I followed up. I sent this out at, uh, on the 20th. I followed this up at, believe it or not, 1 o'clock in the morning as I was finishing up my notes here on the show. And I wrote to the station owner manager again. And I wrote to him with a little sarcasm. And I wrote, I deeply appreciate your failure to answer my email in reference to the interview with Mr. Winslow on the Fallen Memorial coming to Buford next month. In case you failed to read the original, it is included below. As for your news crew inability to do their due diligence attached is the dedication I did on my podcast last year on the 15th anniversary of Corporal Winslow's death. I fail to understand trained journalists' inability to get simple facts correct. Did they pull up the Military Times page for the fallen? A simple Google search would have taken them to that page first, which included the other three Marines who fell that day with Ryan. I've attached the clip of my dedication to Ryan and his family. And if I an amateur podcaster with 12 years' experience and a meager listening audience of 75,000 and a web page hit of a meager 3 million can dig up the facts. Why can't your highly trained, paid staff? Please listen to the clip and understand the pain you caused the Winslow. I read your correction. However, your station owes them a public apology and public retraction. Today, Mary Nell volunteers daily at the AMVETS in Port Royal, serving breakfast and helping vets who wander in seeking comfort and help. George volunteers at the Paris Island Marine Corps Museum as a docent daily. They continue to give back every day of their lives in memory of their son and those who have and still serve. 
the least you can do is give them back some dignity, which was stolen with the broadcast declaring their son a suicide. You owe them that. P.S. I will be watching tomorrow morning and will discuss this issue with my co-host. Well, unfortunately, Ted had to leave. The topic, media's responsibility in accuracy in reporting. Well, I guess someone blew a gasket after I sent that last one because I did attach the recording of the dedication. And the response I got is that I am the news director at WJCL. I'm not going to give his name out. The owner forwarded your email to me as I oversee content here at WJCL. In reference to the story, we had the correct information, but an error in transcribing the interview led to the mistake. It doesn't absolve us of that error, but as soon as we learned what happened, we moved swiftly to correct the error in our copy and the stories both on air and on our website. A corrected version was in our shows Thursday morning, and it lives on our site now. I've also handled the matter internally with my team to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. We certainly meant no harm, and we're trying to shine a light on the good work that Mr. Winslow was doing. I appreciate your passion in reaching out to us. I hope you will continue to do so. You now have my contact information. Supposedly tonight at 6 o'clock, WJCL will rebroadcast that with a correction and retraction. So I will be watching to wait to see if that happens. In response, and I did respond, I said, thank you for your kind and swift response. George and Mary texted me that a correction will air tonight. On their behalf and mine, I deeply thank you. I have feared that journalistic integrity was lost here in the Low Country, and I am so glad it remains alive and well. You may have guessed that George and Mary Nell are dear friends and neighbors. In our neighborhood, just about every house has either a first responder or a military member within. The plight of the military veterans and first responders is something I take deeply to heart. It is in my family and with my friends. It is why I dedicate each and every broadcast to a fallen hero. I stood too many times in uniform formation at attention as we laid another fellow NYPD officer to rest. The hardest being Eddie Burns. He was an academy classmate and friend, executed on the orders of a jailed drug dealer as he studied for the sergeant's exam. That day is forever burned in my memory. I still see his father sitting across the kitchen table in his house and not knowing what else to say to give him comfort. There is little difference when it comes to this between law enforcement and military. Every night when I hung up my uniform and gun belt, I thank God for, with his grace, go I. So please forgive my passion and accept my gratitude for the hard work you do. Sincerely. It does matter. It matters when we speak up. We started this on the 19th, a little over 24 hours later. It was corrected. Our voices mean something. And we need to stand up for our principles. We need to stand up for right. I'm glad I was able to help my friends. But it shouldn't stop there. It shouldn't stop with me. 
It should go on with each and every one of us. So with that said, I want to thank WJCL for making the correction. And I look forward to seeing the rebroadcast tonight of the correction. With that said, I'm going to take a short break uh, because we should have our next guest calling in. Plus, I've got to wipe away my tears. <laughs> okay. Uh, waiting for our next guest to call in, John O'Connor. Uh, so bear with me as I pull up his phone number, which is on my cell phone here somewhere, and dial it in. So I will, let's see what I can plug in here. Uh, oh, just bear with me. Oh, here we go. going to play a little bit. Big Don. So I will be back very shortly. And here we go. This goes. Bear with me. I have to pull that. Here we go. Every morning on time, you can see him arrive. He stood six foot three and weighed 235, kind of broad at the shoulder and fast with the lip. And everybody knew you didn't give no shit to Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. dust and the smoke of this democrat hell walked a giant of a man that the patriots knew well grabbed a sagging economy let out with the groan and like a mighty oak tree just stood there alone big dog i'm talking about our man donald trump he's the president now and all you chumps can just settle down and stay in your safe space we're about to make america a better place with big dog big dog on Big Bad Don. Well, old Don got to work because we got problems to be solved. And the Democrats shouted, the Russians are involved. Brought out their special counsel with Robert Mueller. Too bad the wall just got ten feet taller with Big Don. Well, they will lie and cheat and steal and threaten and pander to illegals before our veterans. But we're over these liberals loading our country in a hearse. It's about time to put America first with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. We're going to put these criminals where they belong. We got people like Hannity and Julian Assange and all the centipedes following QAnon. And Americans like me just singing my song for Big Don. Path ain't easy because the devil's working hard, but we got God on our side and he's playing his trump card. Just remember, my countrymen, to always stick together. Fake news can't stop us from making this world better with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. It's all said and done, America will be great and we'll build a statue just to commemorate a great man with these words on the slate. Thanks to the people's power, a man came from his tower to save America in its final hour. Big Dog. Big Dog. Big Dog. Big Bad Dog. 
You're listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm the hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie. You're listening to uh, my co-host, Congressman Ted Yoho, had to step away for a little bit for a piece of business that was an emergency. He will be back joining us as soon as he can. So in the interim, want to welcome back onto the show the one, the only, the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism, John O'Connor. Good afternoon, and welcome back, John. How was that for an intro? Your ego oh, I nice love it, Annie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know that my ego can get any bigger, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, before you came on, I was talking to my audience about something that happened here locally. Uh, I have a friend of mine. Um, they're a Gold Star family. He's an Army veteran, um, really good, sweet, dear friends of mine and neighbors. And they do something that is a, a war memorial that travels the country for all those that fell after 9-11 in the war in terror his son being one of them 16 years ago. And when they did the news interview, uh, this kid was killed by an IED with three other Marines. They described him as a suicide. And if anyone knows, that is one thing you do not do. I mean, I have great sympathy, empathy for those that are left behind after a suicide. I mean, I've held many a hand of fellow officers that were contemplating it and was able, hopefully, to get a couple of them help. And... I've also had it where you stand there at a funeral for someone that is. You deal with the family with the greatest possible compassion. So I'm not taking away from that. But when you have someone that's a gold star family, the last thing you do is describe their their child or spouse or sibling, their death as a suicide rather than in the line of duty. And it took me a little over 24 hours and several back and forth, finally with the station owner, you know, apologizing profusely, and they will be doing a retraction tonight. But that is what our media has come down to. They have become so lazy. They no longer do true journalism. It would have taken them a few clicks on Google to pull up the Military Times page, the full one, which would have been the first thing that popped up on a Google search that would have brought him up with the full description. I mean, a keystroke, less than five minutes. But that's what journalism has come down to, hasn't it? Well, that's right. And it also comes down to the fact that there are preordained narratives. They know that if they can print certain things, for instance, anything that would diminish military accomplishments or military efforts will be something that they will latch on to immediately. And uh, so it's really very, very um, predictable what they will do. Think about the Russian collusion narrative. For In five minutes, somebody could have gone online and found all the Russian connections of the people putting the Steele dossier together. I mean, Christopher Steele himself was the main man for Oleg Deripaska, the big aluminum oligarch that was close to Putin. Now, is he really going to be exposing Putin, or is he doing something that Putin wants him to? That could have been figured out in five minutes. And yet nobody, in fact, to this day, has ever noted that all the people that put together that dossier were Russian agents. Now, that's just an example, Annie, of how the default is always 
toward uh, one narrative, one type of narrative, and five minutes, ten minutes of work is not done because they don't want to do that work. They don't want to puncture it. Now, on the other hand, the Washington Post will, for instance, will have its Pinocchio column. So anytime anybody makes a conservative statement, oh, the Post will spend time, even though it's <laughs> stupid time. Let me give you an example, Annie, and I'm not going to make this up, but for your listeners, the Post actually has said that Donald Trump, they would list all his lies. He supposedly told 10,000 lies. Well, like 300 of them were lies in which he said that he was building a wall on the Mexican border. And they said, this is a lie because it's really not a wall. It's a bollard-style fence. So it's not a wall. And he lied. No, wait a second. No, no. <laughs> what, what are you doing here, you guys? Come on. Now, that took a lot of effort to come up with his stupid idea as to why this isn't a wall. In others, there was little – you could see they, they did it with um, – you know, a, a post uh, that you could see through. In other words, they, they, they were slatted, slatted. It was a slatted wall, so you could go through and people couldn't hide behind it. It was a brilliant design, but it was a wall. It was a wall, a very effective one, very strong, tall, meets all the definitions of walls. My point is somebody had to go out of their way to try to show Trump was a liar. So they'll do work, even though it's stupid work and silly and um, uh, partisan and so forth, and uh, but but they won't do the slightest bit of work to make a military person seem to be a hero, to make a conservative yeah. person seem to be a hero, to make it look like anybody on the left uh, did anything wrong. For example, you will find very few stories in which, well, you know, there were 60 peaceful protests in the summer of 2020. Now, some people might call them riots because stores were looted and people were shot. But no, these were peaceful protests where a few things got out of hand. So, oh, no, the, it was the, not 60. It was 663, not 60, 663, because I did that on my last show when we pulled up all the stats. Not 60, 663, but they were peaceful. They were peaceful. And one riot. Well, that's on right. They were peaceful. In fact, I think I probably just counted the 60 in major metropolitan <laughs> areas. But if you yeah, count all of them, it's probably 663. Because after all, if you're in a small town, why should you be denied the pleasure of going and looting a store and getting your favorite electronics, uh, you know, or food or whatever it is you're getting? So, yes, you should allow those people to riot too. But then on the um, – CNN and so forth, MSNBC, you found so many people saying, as Dr. King said, riots are the language of the unheard. Yes, Dr. King said that, and in some cases that makes some sense. It doesn't make, I don't think Dr. King said people shouldn't go to jail. In fact, Dr. King said just the opposite. If you're going to protest, you've got to pay your dues and go to jail. Uh, but my point is, oh, these are just peaceful protests. It's the language of the unheard. No, it's not. It's basically our country uh, without going going forward without any standards or principles. Um, and and meanwhile, of course, the uh, the January sixth. Oh no, now that's not just that's not even a riot. That's even more. That's an assault on democracy itself. I mean, it's not oh, even worse than the Holocaust. Some people, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, right. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world. Well, you know something, Annie, just to tell you. Now, of course, during the Oakland riots, of course, some nice innocent people got shot, like a a black security guard at a building who was just standing there and got shot. He had three kids. Now, that's not he's not as important as Mitt Romney's hair because Mitt Romney's hair almost got messed up during that. I mean, he had to keep it in place, and I think he had gel on it, so it didn't get messed up, but it almost did, and it scared him. So uh, that you got to compare those things. What's more important, Mitt Romney's hair or, uh, you know, this poor fellow who got shot in Oakland? That's where we are in this country, and it is just too bad that things have been so hyper-politicized that people can't tell the truth, at least on one side. Uh, there is half the country, everybody likes to say that there's uh, – to try to be fair – that there is just simply uh, a symmetry to each side, to right and left. I disagree with that. I think the red states, by and large, and the red parts of the blue states are people who just think in traditional terms. They think in common sense terms. Uh, they call them as they see them. They may be wrong or right in some cases, but they call them as they see them. There's no predetermined ideological bent on these things. They're not ideological, it's common sense. Like, gosh, there might have been a lab leak in China. Uh, On the other hand, the other side, because we're dealing with socialistic thinking, now you get into um, dogma uh, uh, and you get into ideology, so you do have a preordained set of conclusions if you're in communist russia you always favor the you always talk about the working person even though the working person really doesn't get the money it's the guys the the party bosses do but the point is there's a preordained narrative in these once you start getting down that road so i don't believe that there is a symmetry in the way we communicate i think there's one side that is willing to debate and discuss and discuss and so forth. Another side is not willing to debate and discuss. And if you uh, challenge their orthodoxy, then you are roasted. You're demeaned, you're demonized, and so forth. And that's the Saul Alinsky. You go after these people yeah. and, 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 and make them appear to be the devils. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, what they're doing is they've got the conclusion they want. They know the end result they want, so then they fit the narrative to force their conclusion. It's as if you're in a lab and you know what you want your experiment to end up with. You want this to be like a purple egg. So now you construct it, everything you do in your experiment, to get that one conclusion and nothing else. You don't experiment to find out how you get the purple egg. You already know you want the purple egg, so no matter what you do, it must become the purple egg, come hell or high water. I mean, I I saw a perfect example of this last night at my county GOP meeting. And there's one faction that is trying to take and break our, our county GOP apart, and they come in with, they're already, they already have the conclusion. They want our county chair to resign. It doesn't matter he's doing a fantastic job. It doesn't matter he's more than doubled the membership and is rivaling what any other county in the state is doing. It doesn't matter the good that he's doing, but they want him to resign because they want their guy in there. So they had 11 people march in with a script, and they all went, and the rest of us are like, okay. 
But we came down to the bottom line. They lost because we had the guts to stand up. It was 56 to 2. We gave a vote of confidence for our county chair. But they already know what they want, and they plan everything. They thought they would demonize him and others within our, our GOP, and it didn't work. And that's when we, like you and I do, push back. And it's time we all start pushing back, isn't it? Well, you got it. You got it, Annie. One of the things you said there was very interesting. What the idea is you demonize a certain person, and if you're a good person of common sense, more or less on the right uh, right side of politics uh, as opposed to the left side, if you're in that, there are a lot of polite, decent people. And so somebody gets demonized, you say, oh, well, I, I guess I can't if I'm going to be a good person. I can't stick up for that person because people might think I'm just like him or her uh, that's being demonized. Yes, I'll just go along with it. I'll keep my mouth shut. Well, thank God people are waking up to the idea, no, we know this is wrong. You're demonizing this guy. I'm standing up for him. And that is what I see as what you're just saying is, is hopeful because people are understanding what happens. The whole idea is to try to make everybody and that's what happens with trump they're trying to make and i i live in california so there are a lot of nice people here living in nice comfortable prosperous suburbs uh who you demonize trump and now what happens is is because you demonize him so much it's you know you're taking your intellectual life in your hands if you ever say anything nice about trump i mean you can't say Gee, I think he did a good job on the border wall. Gee, I think he did a good job on fossil fuels. You know, you can't say anything nice about it. It's impossible. You can't do it. You're afraid to. People are afraid to. And I see this in especially the suburban women I live near. You cannot say it. Even as a male, you're, you're, you shouldn't really. It's almost like, you know, you're saying that, uh, you know, you, you, you're in, 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 in favor of infanticide. No, no. You you basically, in fact, infanticide is actually more acceptable. I will say that if you talk about late-term abortion. But, but basically, by demonizing, polite people then stay out of the fray. They're afraid. They're afraid that other people will think ill of them, and they do not speak out. And what's so terrible about this is our country was founded. When John Stuart Mill wrote about On Liberty, which is what he said, Liberty is is gained by discussion and debate. You should want to discuss and debate important issues. But you tell me if anyone on the left really wants to have a discussion or a debate about climate change, either the theory of it or the fact that spending trillions won't change anything. Uh, there's no cost-benefit to it, even if you believe in the theory. But is there a, a chance for a debate? No. No, no, not at all. But, you know, you can't get King Crab anymore because of climate change. Instead of looking at what the true root cause of why we have a, a, a decrease in the King Crab crop, maybe because you're over-harvesting, uh, maybe you need to let the, the fields start to replenish themselves, uh, maybe there's poison in the water, maybe someone dumped something down there that's killing them off. But instead, no, no, it's climate change. Uh, we can't have any more well, king crab what, legs on the market because of climate change. Well, that's right. And uh, what happens is, is they have all these reporters 
that their whole, they'll be on the climate change beat. And anything that happens is the result of climate change. And it makes, you know, if it gets too... If it gets too rainy, it's climate change. If it gets too dry, it's climate change. If it, you know, so forth, if there's not enough water, too much water, too much snow, not enough snow, uh, everything is attributed to climate change, whereas including hurricanes in which you have solid data that there's no difference because they have been tracking hurricanes. Uh, and so, no, it, 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 everything is attributed to that because that's the narrative. You're a good person. If you believe that in 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 uh, as if it's a religious doctrine, believe in climate change. We're supposed to be scientists. You don't believe in anything. You skeptically look at things and determine whether or not you're right or wrong, and how the evidence is applying in a particular case. And the fact is, <laughs> uh, we have some evidence since this climate stuff started that. Uh, all the assumptions, all the computer models that show that uh, carbon dioxide has such a terrible effect, well, the data doesn't support it. So, no. uh, and, 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 you know, so, well, what do you do? You either adjust the data, tweak it, or you just say, well, it must be something else. There must be something else. We know we're right, but there must be some confounding explanation for this. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, you just can't. You just can't shake it. There is no uh, really scientific proof for the concept. Uh, but here we are. We're spending trillions of dollars, and it's very interesting. It's as if no one has figured out that there have been six, at least six in the last, say, couple thousand years. I'm going to say last 3,000 years. There have been at least six times when the temperature has peaked, as it's peaking today, and six times when we've had a valley of really darn cold weather where we can't grow much and societies don't do well. The best societies, two Egyptian societies, Rome, um, the Middle Ages when we built the nice cathedrals, the Roman warming and so forth, all these uh, natural variability periods are ignored. It's like this is the only time in thousands of years that things have gotten warm. Well, I don't know about that. And another well, thing not people there haven't yet, though. thought about. We're, we're, yeah, we're not there yeah, yet because a really good yet. friend of mine is, my good friend of mine is Gregory Wrightstone with the CO2 Coalition. And I made friends with him just when his, first, his book first came out before he even started the CO2 Coalition. And we are climbing out of a mini ice age. We're not even there yet. The earth was warmer when Christ walked on it than it is today. So what have you got uh, to fear? Well, that's right. Uh, I've talked to Gregory. I I had a really great chat with him for about an hour one day, and he's a brilliant guy. I'm a big fan of his. And, of course, he then hangs out with some really good scientists like um, Richard Linson and, uh, you know, Will Happer of uh, Princeton, Linson at Harvard. And these folks, uh, you know, know all about it. Look, we were growing uh, citrus at Hadrian's Wall back in the day. We still haven't unearthed all the tree lines in Sweden. Uh, when Leif Erikson uh, first discovered America long before uh, Columbus did, he came over and probably was Newfoundland. He called it Vinland because there were grapes growing there, you know. So uh, 
and and the the other thing that people have not figured out that Wrightstone will talk about is that we go into these mini ice ages, and that's the thing to fear. Uh, when mm-hmm. around 400 A.D., um, a, a fellow named Attila the Hun, a really nice fellow, uh, oh, was yeah. living up Just in throw the body Mongolia. The <laughs> right, Mongolia, yeah, throw the body Siberia. The yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Attila, Attila was growing good crops. Those guys were growing good crops, and then things started getting uh, drier and colder in about 400 A.D., and we know now that that's when the cold period started, and we started dipping down into a little ice age after the Roman warming. Well, guess what happened? Attila had to go get better lands going down, so he went after the Visigoth land. The Visigoths then turned like a pool a ball. It came down. The Visigoths came down, and they got somebody else, and finally everybody started attacking Rome. But the point is, Cool periods are not good for us, is what I'm saying. No. As Gregory Whitestone would say, you get warm area, warm uh, climate, you have more areas of arable soil, and poor people can get their food. And you yeah. have a little CO2, and it feeds. It's, it's a fertilizer. If you, if you have a greenhouse, you inject CO2 in it because it helps you grow the plants. What is wrong mm-hmm. with this picture? It also saves water because the stomata do not need to open as much and lose water to get their CO2 fixed for the day. So mm-hmm. there's an awful lot. And Wrightstone is brilliant at um, communicating these concepts. Yeah. And, and now why don't people, uh, and he's very easy to understand, but how often do you see Gregory Wrightstone uh, uh, quoted in the New York Times and Washington Post, you don't. You don't see him <laughs> no. on CNN. You don't see him on MSNBC. He's very articulate, easy to understand, easy to put on for a five-minute segment because he speaks in English, common-sense language. Uh, but yet you don't get that. And now these people, and I feel sorry, we have a culture that's really, uh, you know, with high taxes and high cost of living, uh, you know, people are busy with their jobs, and, you know, they get their headlines from CNN, and there you go. Yeah. Well, if you ever talk to Gregory, you tell him you met his first, because I was his first, the very first interview he ever did. So we've got a running joke. Now, talking about uh, having a conclusion and making the facts fit it, let's talk Steve Bannion, because just today, before going on air, he was sentenced to four months for contempt of Congress. When was the last time someone was sentenced to jail for contempt of Congress? Well, I can't. I don't know that anybody can remember that. And if you recall, there were many occasions when representatives of Obama's office were subpoenaed to Congress, for example, the Fast and Furious and so forth. And many of those subpoenas were simply rebuffed on the grounds that there's executive privilege, Uh, you know, so people didn't show up. Well, people, you know, nobody prosecuted those people for, you know, there's a little standoff and words are exchanged and so forth, but people don't go to jail. And and even at that, you know, uh, when you do get jail time for contempt, and usually it's, you know, that is normally if you get sentenced, it's a one-month sentence. 
Okay, and then what the prosecutor said and the judge parroted was that uh, he's shown no remorse. Well, you know, that's a valid factor. I'm a former prosecutor. That's a valid factor when you've committed a real crime where there's real harm caused by that. You've hurt somebody. You've killed somebody. Yes, you have remorse for that. But what if you really believe what you say? You say your principles. You believe that it wasn't your duty to uh, testify be- before Congress with executive privilege. It's not a question of remorse. It's a question of my principles still say that I shouldn't have testified. So he's getting he's really sentenced not because he has no remorse, but because he believes in the principles that got him there. Now, you know, it's up to a judge to say whether he's right, wrong, or indifferent. But to say he shows no remorse, that's really absurd, you know. Um, so, yeah, people – people. I was a prosecutor. People often were in contempt of the grand jury. And, you know, you work these things out. Uh, you know, you go get an order of the court saying you got to show up. And usually things work out, but – that's not the way they did it here. They just basically charged him, you know, and then he gets sentenced. So once again, there's an inequality in our system. Um, and, of course, think about what Merrick Garland would have been like had he been on the Supreme Court when everybody was saying on the other side, oh, he's such a down-the-middle guy. He's such a moderate uh, fellow, and these Republicans won't let have a vote on Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. Now the guy has shown his true colors, who he really is. And you tell me if this is a good guy for the Supreme Court. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. By the way, I don't think so. By the way, Annie, you know you can firebomb uh, an anti-abortion clinic. You just can't protest against uh, an abortion clinic. <laughs> Oh, don't get me started on there because I have that in the pile of stuff I threw together. And thank you very much. i got to really tell the listening audience, you agreed to come on the show less than an hour before I came on air. So I was scrambling like 20 minutes before to pull stuff out going, I, I, I got this pulled aside. Got this. this is good for John. This is good for John. This is good for John. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. This was in the Christian Post Reporter that the attacks on pro-life groups, churches, continue after the DOJ arrest pro-life activist list. Um, now, these people that are pro-life, and they were peacefully protesting outside of abortion clinics, and in one case, this guy Hurst, his son was being accosted by a pro-choice individual and physically and emotionally accosted. Any dad, what any dad would do, step in between and push the guy away from his son. He gets arrested. FBI raid on the house, guns drawn on him, his wife, his crying kids are frightened off their ever you know what. But yeah, do you, you know see what's so anything terrible about happening? that? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, please. Take it. Oh, well, in, in, in that case, this is a crime, so-called crime that if it's prosecuted at all, is a classic local crime. What does the federal government, I know abortion can implicate, I suppose, a constitutional issue, although the court just recently ruled it wasn't a constitutional issue. So what's the federal government doing anyway? How, what, what is the federal 
uh, interest here. But but normally, these are the kind of cases. I was a federal prosecutor. You don't simple assault cases are are matters for the discretion of the local DA. And guess what the local DA did here? They said this is there's there's no case here. There's no case. And local DAs are pretty good about prosecuting minor minor cases. If you have a minor assault, they'll charge it the way you should be, and maybe you get a slap on the wrist, but it's an assault charge. But they didn't think anything was warranted in the case. I think it's Mr. Hurst is his name, or Hertz. But but basically, the federal government steps in. And so what are they doing? They're basically intimidating anybody who would protest against abortion clinics. They're just doing that the same way they uh, intimidate people who uh, perhaps uh, don't like their school board and want to speak out about uh, the fact that the school board is not doing what these, uh, you know, these parents, who are these parents anyway? What, what role do they have in this? And, and so you would intimidate them. And it goes right down the line of, of special interest, really. These are special interests that the Biden um, uh, camp holds near and dear. And so you go out and you prosecute the enemies. This is very much, like once again, I, we had talked before about ideology, Annie. And once you get into an ideologically driven party, as in, you know, you name it, uh, I hate to, nobody likes to bring up Nazi Germany, let's go to Soviet Union, it doesn't matter, Chinese, communist, whatever country it is that has ideologically driven uh, rulers, this is what they do. They use the law to intimidate those who believe in, uh, against them in any anything against them, as opposed to a society where the leaders are supposed to champion liberty, champion uh, diversity of expression, and say this is good. Let let the let like John Stuart Mill. Let's let the best man win. Let's discuss it. Let's have it out. But no, that's not what we're doing here. Now we're taking one side of the of the equation. Uh, one certain people have certain ideas. Oh, those are good ideas. We're never going to pro- – they can do anything they want, and that's fine. The people who have the other ideas, we prosecute them for their ideas. So uh, look, look at this. There is a specific federal crime for trying to intimidate uh, judges and most mm-hmm. notably Supreme Court justices. So you're not supposed to go protest outside their home, e- even without physically damaging them. Uh, but – but basically, these folks violate directly violate a law when they start rampaging around um, Kavanaugh's house and, and the houses of others, uh, even to the extent that there was a fellow that was ready to kill to try to kill Kavanaugh. But no, this isn't dangerous. There's no reason to arrest anybody. There's no reason to at least come in and warn them off the premises, say, okay, if you don't disperse, we're going to do something. That's probably what you should do. You shouldn't just go arrest people. You say, look, get, leave. Leave people. You're violating federal law. And if you keep violating federal law, we'll do something about it. But no. Oh, no, you don't do that. Now, but you do, uh, you do arrest some father at, a, at an abortion clinic. So we have a, um, a situation now where the justice system is used to enforce ideas ideas of one side of the intellectual spectrum. And that's very scary. That is very scary. We're supposed to have it out. The First Amendment was there so that we can all have it out. We can all peacefully uh, express our views. 
uh, and there's no to be no punishment for it. Uh, in the old days, hundreds of years ago, you, you said something against the king, you were in jail. Or in other times, you said something that was Protestant when the Catholics were in power or Catholic when the Protestants are in power. And guess what? You go to jail or you get your head cut off. And this is precisely what America was trying to avoid. Now we're doing the same thing. Hey, Annie, I'm, I'm back for a minute. Can I, can I weigh in on it and just make a comment? Yeah, John, this is uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho. Go ahead, Ted. Hey, John. Um, You know, I agree with everything you've just said. And when you speak out, you know, we have that First Amendment. But yet when you listen to President Biden's speech in Philadelphia, where he came out and attacked anybody that was a Trump supporter, a MAGA supporter, you know, he, he labeled them as domestic terrorists. I have never seen that in our country, and it goes to one of those despotic or communist uh, regimes, as you talked about. We are there in America. Uh, They just haven't um, moved to the next step, and uh, it's a dangerous situation in this country, and I appreciate what you do. Well, thank you, because this is, yeah, it's, 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 it's all around. Think about it from everything from the fact that we are not drilling for fossil fuel because of ideology. That's all. We need fossil fuel. But look, ideology says somehow we should be uh, uh, doing something uh, about it, even if it's only symbolic. So that's what we're doing. We're symbolically uh, you know, taking the hit for climate change. So here in California, you know, I'm paying 650 a gallon for gas. Why? Because somebody thinks that's a good idea. Uh, they're enforcing an idea. They're not. You know, they're not doing anything that's practical, and so we're losing our freedom. And in in doing that, we're losing our economic system. Is one of the things that uh, you know comes from this. Uh, besides the fact that we're not allowed to speak freely, uh, now it impacts our pocketbook, which is essentially an enforcement of an idea. Yeah, <laughs> they're hitting us. Well, no, they want the electric cars. So they're going to make release the petroleum reserves. We have nothing left in the reserves. The Arab Saudi Arabia is going to cut down on their production. Uh, so we're going to have gas shortages. We're going to see rationing of gas again like we saw in the late 70s under Jimmy Carter. And I know, Ted, you and I'm sure, John, you remember those days, uh, odd or even days, depending upon your life. Right? They're going to go back yeah. to that. They're going to go back and say, "Well, you wouldn't have this problem if you had an electric car." Well, yes, if everyone had an electric car, then we have to ration the electric grid because the grid cannot support everyone having an electric car. Catch twenty-two. There's no well, other way to describe if your it. Grid is that- is powered by. Wi- That's right. Especially if you have your grid powered by windmills. Guess what happens in California? <laughs> you have electric vehicles, and then Go- Governor Newsom says. Our windmills aren't producing enough power, so please don't charge your vehicles. Well, wait a second. What do we do? Uh, you know. Now think about this. Uh, Let's uh, say there's a disaster. Yeah. Well, I, I've got an answer to the windmills in California. Just let Nancy Pelosi uh, and uh, what's her face? Uh, oh, good lord, I can't forget. And Gavin Newsom keep on talking because they'll generate enough hot air to get those windmills burning. <laughs> Well, I wish I wish we could sort of bottle that up, and you know. And the problem is, oh, once Waters. the hot air yeah. goes, 
yeah, you can't yeah you can't store the hot air. That's the problem. It's only generated right there. Uh, so you know, think about this: the next disaster in California, which is set up geographically for disasters. That's just the way it is. And everybody decides they have to leave L.A. because of a fire or an earthquake. Now you go up I-5, the central freeway in California, and everybody drives their electric vehicles up there. Now what happens when they start stalling out? That's, that's going to be a real good one because then you sit there in traffic. You don't have enough juice to keep going. Everybody stops, and, uh, you know, you have a big parking lot of electric vehicles, and nobody can go anyplace. Uh, yeah, you know, there's not and, enough ever-ready nice. bunnies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not enough ever-ready bunnies. One thing about fossil fuel, you can put it in a can and go deliver it to somebody. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, and then you get Teslas. You know, and Teslas, uh, are, you know, can't be towed. You have to have a special Tesla person come in, and Is and work right? on your stalled vehicle. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't have a normal person work on a Tesla wow. because it just doesn't work that way. So. That is very scary. And then what nobody thinks about, these great people who are talking about the planet all the time, the planet and global things. And, and globally, every time you make a large car battery, you're probably killing another kid in the Congo who is down in those mines getting cobalt. We don't have enough rare earth materials to make the uh, the the uh, the, the, the batteries we're selling now, but what happens if we really goose up like we want to do in California and quadruple the number of electric vehicles out there? We don't have enough rare earth minerals. And, of course, the price is going to go sky high for for because of that. And then we're going to be saddled with a bunch of old car batteries, which are gigantic, which have all these. And those are environmental time bombs because we're going to have millions of these things that you really can't recycle effectively without using a lot of power. And so, you know, nobody thinks about the real long-term ecological and environmental implications of these electric vehicles. They're terrible. Uh, even if you, no. if you care about the so-called planet. No, no. And, and, and here I'll throw some more monkey wrenches into, the, into you because, as you said, these, these batteries are highly toxic. And to replace the battery, the battery itself costs more than the car itself when you purchased it. So can you afford a new car or can you afford to replace the battery in your existing car? Uh, you can't afford either one because you're paying 65 or even more for these cars. And you can go into a used car dealer and pick one up for $6,500. And it runs on gasoline. You get it at your local pump. But where do you get those rare earth materials? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. We gave up Afghanistan, which is a treasure trove of rare earth materials. And who was there less than five minutes after the last copter took off with the Americans in it, or the Americans that were able to get out, and our allies that were able to get out and are still stuck there behind, Afghanistan, welcome over, China. You can dig for all these rare earth minerals. And, oh, who just picked up from the Department of Energy all the copyright and information and plans for these new batteries? Oh, geez, they were sold to a company in China controlled by Communist China and a company doing business in China, the second one that is also now being controlled by Communist China because they're doing business in China. And who's going to manufacture these batteries? Communist China. And who is oh, Joe right. Biden telling us to buy the cars from? Communist China. Right. And then, of course, once China, of course, 
takes over Taiwan because we have a corrupt president. Now, they're the ah, main the chip. chip makers in the world. Yep. So the chips will also buy from communist China. And you know why the Chinese are taking control of these things? Because whatever you say about them, they're actually astute people. Now, unlike the people in America who seem to have lost <laughs> that, at least certain portions of uh, Americans have seemed to, to, to lost that, to have lost that. So it's, it's a really terrible situation we're facing. We're just um, trying to wreck our economy is what we're doing. And think about what Biden did with one stroke of the pen by stopping the leasing of um, oh, yeah. these oil fields. I mean, it's both it's inflation. And now, of course, what does uh, what what does Saudi Arabia think about us? Because John Kerry is out there not only fighting climate change, but trying to do an Iran deal so that Iran can get some bombs and and uh, wipe Saudi off the face of the globe. And then, of course, Biden then comes to Saudi Arabia, of course, while he's uh, you know prosecuting Bin Salman. Then he comes in and says, so please give us some more fossil fuel because we need it because we restricted our uh, production. It's so silly. Um, and yeah. I don't know if you saw yeah. this, but when Trump was in office, he tried to replenish the petroleum reserve by buying yeah. uh, oil at 24 a gallon. And, of course, uh, Chuck Schumer was proud that he stopped Donald Trump from doing that stupid thing. And now Biden, of course, wants well, to buy oil at $80 well, a barrel. Well, when it comes to Schumer, there's a Yiddish name I substitute for Chuck. It kind of rhymes with it, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or Chuck U. Schumer. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But but what do you do about this when uh, – and in, in Annie and in, in Ted, you get back to this whole idea of the media, the messaging that the normal person out there gets – that gets his wisdom from CNN, it's really pretty bad because none of this stuff is really uh, talked about in common sense way. You don't hear both sides of this because when people hear both sides of this, these things, these issues we're talking about, they're kind of no-brainers. You you just got to have common sense. Yeah. Well, you notice that petroleum reserves are released just prior, just two weeks prior a little over two weeks prior to the election. So now by the time you head to the polls, your gas may be down about 20 cents. You're going to feel good about it. It doesn't matter that prior to Biden being elected, you had gas below $2 a gallon. In some areas, I filled up my tank prior to the election at $1.69 a gallon here in South Carolina. Most people are paying $1.89, $1.99. And now you're paying three eighty six. More than $2 a gallon more than less than two years ago. But that's okay. It went down 20 cents prior to you pulling, going to the polls. So you're going to vote for Fetterman. You're going to vote for anyone that Biden is out there campaigning for. Oh, yeah, that's right. Obama's out there campaigning, too, for the uh, Democrats. So I don't know how well, well that's going to go. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this: you're lucky if you're paying three forty nine in California. You die and go to heaven for that. I just filled up my car. I got sixteen gallons in my tr- and uh, I paid uh, hundred and no less than sixteen. I paid one hundred two dollars uh, because we don't believe in uh, uh, cheap three forty nine gas. We like to 
do like 649 or whatever 679 690 you know it just it just is it just makes no sense we're paying taxes really at the pump for that aren't we um, yes <laughs> don't get me started on taxes because right now I'm fighting my county council on raising the sales tax here in the height of a recession Oh, but that's all right. The tourists are going to pay for it. We're in a recession. How much tourism do you think is going to come here? I mean, if you're going to be charging 7% sales tax, what would stop that person from going a few hours further south to Florida with taxes at 4% or going over the border to Georgia or North Carolina where they're going to keep their taxes lower than us? So bye-bye tourism dollars, and it's going to be 100% on the residents. And who's going to pay the worst? the poorest among us who can't afford that tax that goes on not just not just every, your groceries on every single uh, service and goods you purchase utility bills your phone bill your your TV your internet um, your your babysitting uh, forget about buying clothing for your kids for schools or cleaning products for your home those very basic things but then forget about going out to dinner you key, you kill the hostess industry right there. So brilliant. Brilliant well, Annie, in the height of yeah, Annie, yeah. Yeah, Annie, I have a, a response to you on that one though. I think President Biden has helped cure inflation because he passed something called the Inflation Reduction Act. Doesn't that reduce inflation? We spend see here's the deal. You spend eight hundred and seventy <laughs> billion dollars and then you reduce inflation. Doesn't that make sense to you? Yes, it does. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Like having Christmas in July. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, Think about, yeah. Well, it has been a, a pleasure for, uh, having you with us. Um, I, I do have to call into my next guest. And as Ted dropped out and my normal co-host, Curtis, is not with me, I'm handling this like a one-armed payback and trying to handle this the switchboard but i want to have you back there's so much more we can talk about because you are always such a pleasure to talk to so knowledgeable and anywhere you go i can follow (laughs) well annie it's been a blast so uh, let's do this again soon all right and people can find your book up on amazon there's a link link a link on the show page to post gate so that people can see your research and what you've done and how you're opening the eyes to everyone out there. God bless you, John. Yeah, and let me do one more pitch, and that is I have a sort of a beach read called Mysteries, The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened. It's kind of the, the fun uh, stuff of all the things that the tell us. So that's a good one, too, besides Postgate. So anyway, ah. great talking to you, and let's, and, uh, and we'll be talking in the future. Absolutely, John. You have a wonderful weekend. Take care. See you. All right. John O'Connor, check out his book, Postgate, and check out his his blog. He is such a blast to talk about. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little bit of a break while I try to bring in our next guest. And in this case, I'm going to play the Ronald Reagan Pledge of Allegiance. So sit back, relax. And enjoy as I pull this forward. And bear with me. Like I said, Curtis is not here, so I'm like a one-armed paper hanger here. Here we go. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land 
we unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. All right, that was Ronald Reagan on the pledge. All right, we've got our, whoops, it helps if I unmute people, but we've got our next guest in on the line. Um, he is uh, Ivan Eland, and he is, if I can get my notes correctly here, the Senior Fellow for the Independent Institute and Director of the Institute's Center Peace. Uh, good afternoon, Ivan. How are you today? Very well, thanks. Very well. 
I, yeah, I have to apologize. My normal co-host is not with me today. He's moving from one house to another this week. And I had a guest co-host who will pop back in very shortly, uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho. But he had to step away for some important business. So I'm flying solo at this moment and doing as well as a one-armed paper hanger. So just bear with me today. Uh, you You recently wrote an excellent article about uh, Saudi Arabia and their partnership with the Biden administration. What a debacle that has been. He has done anything and everything to make us less energy independent. We had it in the palm of our hands, and we didn't need to get entangled anywhere else just for oil, and he blew it big time, didn't he? Well, I think uh, it was a mistake for Biden to uh, coddle the Saudi uh, dictator, and we have to say that he is a dictator. He has a lot of human rights violations, not only in his uh, suppression of dissent at home, uh, in particular women, but others as well in Saudi, and also the murder of uh, a journalist uh, in in Turkey, and also his uh, very bloody and um, really attacking civilians in Yemen. Um, so he, he is not what you would call a human rights paragon. Now, of course, you know, the United States has to deal with people sometimes that they don't like. However, in this particular case, Biden had been very severely critical of uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman is his name, uh, the de facto ruler, ruler of Saudi Arabia, and Biden is very critical of him uh, before becoming president. And because Biden wants the gas prices lower uh, before the election, the midterm election here, he decided to uh, play nice with uh, the guy, hoping he would help him out. Well, of course, the Saudis uh, basically thumbed their nose at him, and there's no real reason uh, in this day and age why the United States has to do this because the power of the Saudis to control the world oil price has always been overstated, and the main reason for that is they've always been the, sort of the leader of OPEC and now OPEC Plus, which is it also includes Russia. Uh, that is an oil cartel, and they try to have production quotas from each country. And what happened here was after Biden kind of schmoozed with him, he uh, raised the, <clears throat> or excuse me, he lowered everybody's uh, production uh, quota, or I should say OPEC followed the Saudi lead in doing that. However, the problem with all cartels is that when the oil price is high, and it's still relatively high, uh, people cheat. The countries cheat on their quotas. They'll say they'll do a quota uh, to nice to the other OPEC countries, but then they'll cheat. And so the price of oil in the long term really is not controlled by uh, Saudi Arabia. The other uh, issue that we have is back in World War II, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had agreed with the founder of Saudi Arabia that uh, they would ensure that we got oil uh, if we would provide their security. And That back then, uh, FDR could foresee that the U.S. would eventually, or he, or so he thought, run out of oil, and we'd have to start using 
party oil. Now, of course, when you say that uh, we'd like to have uh, oil independence, we are, again, because of fracking, the largest oil producer in the world, as we were uh, before World War II. So uh, we're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing it for our rich allies in Europe and that sort of thing. And, and so it's really questionable that we um, coddle a dictator who has a human rights record about on par with Iran, who we purport to hate because they, they don't play the game and they have human rights violations. So there's sort of a contradiction there. Well, it never made sense, and I don't think to any American, honestly, that we produce the oil, we then sell it to China, Saudi Arabia, Russia, who then in turn sell it back to us. Why are we doing that? It makes no sense. What, what is the purpose? Unless it is to increase oil prices and then just before the election go, oh, by the way, I'm opening the oil reserves. Going to cut off some of this stuff we're sending out. Uh, so your oil price is going to go down uh, just before the election, about 20, 20 cents. So when you go to the voting booth, you're going to vote for us because we just dropped oil prices. Does it make any sense to me? Unless you're a Democrat, voting Democrat, nope. Well, it's the um, real issue, of course, is uh, can anyone really control the oil prices? It's very difficult to do because there's a worldwide market for oil. But the problem that comes in is that the Biden administration, uh, Biden administration is also using the strategic petroleum reserve to dump oil on the market to bring the price down before the election. It's the the um, strategic petroleum reserve uh, is really designed for real emergencies where you have an oil embargo or there's been a large hurricane that knocks out the Gulf oil refineries and that sort of thing. So they're kind of misusing it. Biden is not the first president to do that, but he, he's doing it for uh, you know electoral purposes just because the price is high. And that's not what the strategic petroleum reserve is supposed to be for. I would say we probably should just if he, if he dumped it all out and never refilled it, but he says he's going to refill it at a later date, that would be the best thing because we really don't need the strategic petroleum reserve because the, the best way to get oil and the cheapest way to get oil is to buy it on the world market. And uh, the reason that uh, we buy oil, even though we produce a lot of it, is because our oil is no longer the cheapest oil because the fracking is expensive. But the oil in Saudi Arabia and other places uh, is cheaper sometimes. But there's really nothing wrong. And I think this idea that we should be oil independent or energy independent comes from the 1970s. <clears throat> but there was a Congressional Research Service study a few years ago that said, well, you can, get, you can move to oil independence, but it's going to cost you more because uh, you can get the oil, in this case, cheaper elsewhere and save your own if you think it's such a valuable uh, commodity. So uh, oil independence is sort of something that politicians like to say all the time, but you can, you can do that if, if they want. It'll be a, a lot of economic pain, and also it's going to cost a lot more to, more to get energy. And so uh, the market is best, uh, you know, just allowed to work 
with no strategic petroleum reserves, no uh, coddling of OPEC, no anything. You just uh, pay the bill. And therefore, if you just pay the bill and we don't expect anything out of Saudi Arabia, we can have a much more independent uh, policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis that country than we do at this point. Well, I'm going to bring my co-host Ted into this because, Ted, I'm going to ask you, I, I'm, I'm questioning some of the premises he's making simply because there's two things. Uh, we've had the pipelines cut off. Uh, Biden has cut those off completely. And that was a major source of oil. He has prevented new drilling on lands that people already hold the permits on, companies already hold the permits. We have not developed a new refinery or built a new refinery since the 1970s. So any oil we produce, the vast majority, yes, we have to ship out to have refined because we stopped refining them here. So if we get the refineries back open, we open up all the pipelines and all the other lands with permits, I believe we can cut more than cut the cost of our oil production here in half and have the cheapest oil in the world and then export that cheap oil everywhere else. Am I looking at this right or wrong, Ted? No, I partially agree with you, and I think, you know, I think you're spot on on that. You know, the strategic oil reserve, uh, petroleum reserve, is there for a reason. And, you know, I think we have historically close to 714 uh, million barrels. Our average consumption is 28 or 20.8 million barrels a day in the U.S. alone, and so if you multiply or divide that into the seven, 700 and some, uh, that'd be I think a little over 30 days worth of supplies, and you wouldn't use it all in one day, obviously. But the, I mean, you and I, we talked about the uh, oil embargo of the uh, of the 70s. You and I remember that yeah. very well, and we saw gas go from 35 cents a gallon to 75 cents a gallon. And then waiting in line, it was rationed. It was a man-made, uh, it was a man-made disaster. And we're seeing what's going on in Europe right now with Russia using energy, um, natural gas more, but as a geopolitical tool to get other countries to bow down to them. And those tankers right now that have petroleum are waiting off the coast of the uh, of Europe. Uh, and the the speculators are saying they're waiting for the prices to go up. If we have the Department of Energy, which is supposed to do what they're supposed to do, besides the atomic uh, energy that they were supposed to take care of, to get this country to a independent or secure state. And we had the policies that were in place as a national policy, not at the whim of an administration like this Biden administration that goes back to uh, Obama, you know, to weaken this country, and Biden's doing it for the green energy, but that's just their their uh, cross that they're uh, rattling people to. What happens is when you have those those fluctuations, the oil companies, number one, they're not going to invest. They're going to go ever, somewhere else, and as um, our guest said, that they're going to go to the countries where it's cheaper, and that makes sense. But for an energy security policy for the United States of America, we should – utilize the resources we have, and the policy should be that we are going to extract this petroleum, we're going to do it better than anybody else, and we are not going to have it fluctuate from day to day from, by an administration. It's on today, it's off tomorrow, it's on today, it's off tomorrow. And we do the same thing in our foreign policy, we do the same thing on our border security, and this is not the way this, this nation is going to stay strong. So I agree with well, you Ted, in that sense, you Annie. 
Yeah. Well, did you sit on the Energy Commission when you were in Congress? And you mentioned a report uh, about it being costing us more to produce our energy than having it imported. Did you sit on that report in that commission? You know, I've read things that say that, um, but I know if we can produce it here, and it's um, it's something I'm not so much worried about the gas price as I am the supply. If we can control the supply, and we, of course, saw what happened under Trump. You know, when we had plenty of oil, uh, they're begging us not to put so much on the market. And we don't want to necessarily control it. I think it should be controlled on the world supply. Um, but, no, to answer your question, I wasn't on energy. I was on the foreign affairs and agriculture. All right. So, uh, Ivan, how do you feel about what uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho said on this issue then? Well, I agree with a lot of what he said. I don't mind them, uh, you know, uh, lessening the environmental constraints on new refineries or uh, getting those pipelines. I thought it was a mistake to, uh, you know, stop the pipelines. Uh, but I, it's very difficult to in Arabian oil because it's so cheap. Uh, it's easily extractable, et cetera, whereas well, we have to do fracking and a lot of deep drilling, uh, you know, in offshore, and that's just more, going to be more expensive. There's very, you can do some things to do that, and I think we, you know, also we don't have to pay transportation costs if we, if we, uh, you know, get the oil here rather than bringing in our tankers and whatever. It's hard to beat some of the really low-cost producers, but uh, my only problem is I think this idea. And it's a, it's a good talking point, but uh, energy independence, uh, it's protectionism. And you wouldn't say, well, let's uh, protect textiles or something coming into the country uh, because it's, it'll raise the price of textiles. And so I think this energy, you know, it's still is, uh, very important and it is very important. But the world market is very good for oil. Uh, now, oil gas is a little bit different because uh, you have to have a lot of ground pipelines to do that, and it's expensive to uh, do liquefied natural gas on, on ships to move across. So it's, it's, you don't have a worldwide natural gas market, although eventually they'll drive the price down of the liquefied natural gas where you can, you know, export it via tankers uh, and it'll be cheap like oil. Uh, but right now we don't have a worldwide natural gas market, and that's why Europe maybe has some problems this winter uh, because of the Soviet, uh, or excuse me, the Russian uh, pipeline being, um, uh, you know, either <laughs> either debilitated by explosions or just not uh, turned on. So, but but I think the world oil market is very good, and that's what ultimately you need enough gasoline for. En- if you want to go energy security and be a minimalist, we need enough uh, oil production domestically to run our military, which we have, you know, seven to eight times as much uh, to do that. But I think we, we can get the rest on the, oil, the um, worldwide oil market. No, I agree. In fact, and so I think, you know, all these under deregulation of, of the, you know, everything, because I think the market will provide it. And there, there, there's no reason that we can't import uh, oil that's cheaper and save ours for later if we want. Uh, but of course, we always find new oil. They always say, well, oil's going to, exp- our own supplies are going to expire. But of course, technology gets better and we don't really have a limit 
uh, that we know of on domestic oil production. It's you have to you have to spend more getting it out, but uh, you can probably get it out for a long time. Well, you know, no, here, I, you're I, with the I, Center I, for. I'm sorry, Ted. Go I was going to say, here you're with the Center for Peace and Liberty, and the idea is, if we have the ability to be energy independent. Should there be a foreign entanglement that we should be taking a step away from, say, for example, with China, with Turkey, with Saudi Arabia, with Russia, where we are now dependent upon their imports for cheap oil? If we are independent, we can step back and say, hey, whatever you want to do, we don't care because now we're going to use our own stuff. So you do whatever you guys want to do, but we're out of this one. Wouldn't that make more sense? Well, you can also, since there's a beautiful worldwide market, oil is almost never cut off. The the price may go up if there's a war here or a war there. And we see that happening with, you know, natural gas and oil because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But that's usually temporary. And even if there's a war in the Middle East, uh, during the Iran-Iraq war, which lasted eight years, it's very interesting that they allowed the tankers to go through uh, the Persian Gulf, and get to where they needed to go. There was no crisis during the uh, duration of that war. And also, when when if there's a war, something that impedes production in one country, or sanctions, like we have these sanctions against Iran and Venezuela, we may have those because we don't like the regimes there, but also it takes oil off the market. So if something happens like that, other countries, uh, the price will go up, and other countries will go, well, I'm going to produce more. Even if I have to cheat on my production quota, I'm just not going to tell everybody because it's just so lucrative to produce this stuff. So, and then, of course, that goes, the price goes back down. So I think we could avoid uh, – uh, I think both parties have, uh, have tried to lessen uh, our interventions in the Middle East, both Trump and I think uh, Biden would also like to do that because he wants to you know, pivot for – to China and East Asia, as Obama did before him. So those parties, I think, would like to lessen our footprint in the Middle East. But I think we can do that because of the oil market. And I think the lessons of the 70s, uh, uh, um, were, it's exactly correct that that was a man-made uh, or a government-made uh, situation because there was a production cut. But they should have just let the price rise. But we still had price controls uh, at the time on oil, and you saw in Japan where they had no price controls on oil, they just pay, you know, the market uh, ra- uh, the market ration to the most uh, critical users were willing to pay the higher price. And, of course, the Japanese weathered that crisis without gas lines and without all sorts of recriminations and scarring that we've had. And we're, well, a lot of us are still, who remember that, are, are – uh, are still scarred by it, and therefore it <laughs> governs our policy, and it probably it probably shouldn't. Yeah. Well, Ted, go ahead. I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't afford to fill up, fill up my car at 35 cents a gallon, and it really crushed me when it went to 75. But you know, I, what I would like to see a policy on national security is steady supply as much as we can, because um, when you look at what Trump was doing, and I agree with you. I don't think we should, uh, even though we could, energy independence, I think the the key is energy security and stability, and I don't want to control prices or anything like that, 
But when you take our production and cut it down, the people don't invest. Those infrastructures take years to re-gear up. And in the meantime, you get some geopolitical tensions like you're getting it with the war in Ukraine, the threatening of um, China to take over Taiwan. And then um, you have Kim Jong-un. You know, you get a disruption in that supply, and America has cut back on their supply or their production. And so if you have that production going in there, you won't have an American president, I don't think, going to Saudi Arabia, going to Venezuela, trying to get them to increase more production. I would say if we kept our production up, these other countries, I think they could try to do that and cut back, but we could come back and say, you cut back, we're going up on our production. And I think it would get people to pay attention a little bit more and play a little bit more fair instead of threatening to do these things that really upsets the market. And, again, for Congress and a president, I would hope they would put an energy security policy in place for energy uh, security. Ivan? Well, I think, uh, you know, that's fine. First of all, uh, I'm for increasing U.S. production. I think that's a good a good thing. The problem I come in is that we get we get involved in the Iraq War and all these other things like the Libyan War and all. Oh, I agree there. Under, because they're not, I think they've got to quit doing that kind of stuff on the false base. Somehow, uh, you know, is a detriment to our oil security. So I, I'm I'll, I'm okay with a security policy, but let's not abuse it. No, no, I agree with that. I, 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 you know, you've got to treat people fair. You know, you, people want to do business with they, people they know, like, and trust, and you've got to have steady policies that live beyond an administration. And, you know, certainly they can change it. And, um, you know, um, you were talking about the endless wars, and I missed the first part of your segment. Um, uh, one of the things we tried to do, and if you've covered this already, just tell me, is get rid of the AUMFs that are operating from – what was it, 2001 and 2003, I think it is, um, which gives the president, you know, he can go into those wars and keep extending it, and that's what we've seen. Those things need to be brought to an end, and any act of war needs to go through Congress. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? If, if you've already covered just let me know. Oh, I'm 100% behind you on that one. I think, you know, and people say, well, Congress, Wrote the uh, wrote those too broadly, and I say no. U.S. administration, Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden—they've all abused the wording on there. The, the 2001 AUMF was said was supposed to hit the perpetrators of uh, 9/11 and the people who harbored uh, right. those perpetrators. Well, so that would be Al Qaeda and perhaps the Taliban in. in uh, Afghanistan, which we did, but then we went beyond that, and we went to, to uh, we created new terrorist groups. ISIS came out of our occupation of uh, of uh, Iraq, right. and aid, uh, you know, we fighting in Shabab and Somalia and all these places. And you know, Shabab is a bad group, but they never attacked us. And so I think there was abuse of these resolutions by administrations, and I, I'm 100% that we really ought to declare war again and get that started. Uh, you know, I don't want to say declare war, but that use that route if we have to go to war, and it should be really need to 
stop doing a lot of this, but if we need to do it, then we need to go through Congress, uh, uh, certainly. I had that, I agree. That discussion. I, I had that discussion with several people on foreign affairs, you know, the, the speakers that came in. What the administrations have done, and I agree with you, they have abused that. They've taken the AUMFs that were written previously, and they have stretched it like the elastic clause in the Constitution to fit the need. You know, we all of a sudden we had a war on terrorism. So wherever there was a, a terrorist group, it was a war, but it really wasn't a war. It was going in there and doing those things. And and I argue that you're 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 not attacking a nation. You're attacking an ideology. And um, you know that would be like having a war on communism. You know, you're not attacking a nation. You're attacking um, that ideology. And how do you win those? You can't win those, I don't think. And if you have a, an idea of how you win that and versus having a war on a nation state that people understand and, you know, you can direct your focus on, but these pockets of ISIS and terrorism back in the days when they were popping up everywhere, and let's hope they don't, you start going into these countries where we had no business going into. Yes, and that also oh, gonna... globe against U.S. targets as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to bring back Congress so that anything they pass must be proven by the enumerated powers in the Constitution, and that's that. Anything beyond that start. must be erased and must be removed. I mean, we've got an alphabet city of agencies in there. We don't know what 90% of them do, and yet... This is our shadow government determining our everyday life, from the light bulb we use to the toilets we use and the amount of water it flushes. It's got to stop. But I want to thank you, Ivan, for joining us, and people can find you at the Center for Peace and Liberty. And thank you for the hard work you do, sir, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Ivan, I appreciate it. Right. And I've, uh, I appreciate what you do in your institute. Yes, yes. The Center for Peace and, Law and Liberty, and incidentally, is on, at the uh, Independent Institute in Oakland, California. Well, thank you. God bless, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, uh, Jack, uh, All right. Ivan Eland. Uh, we got our last guest, our last victim in on the show here today, Ted. And we have the one, the only, Virginia Allen, who is the senior news producer and podcast host at the Daily Signal out of um, Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Virginia. My guest co-host with me today is former Congressman Ted Yoho. How are you today? Oh, it's wonderful to be with you all. Thank you so much for having me back. Hey, Virginia. Oh, it is our pleasure. Well, you know, one of the top news stories today, blasted last night, is the uh, resignation of Liz Truss, the Prime Minister in U.K., Mm. Holy cow, what went wrong there? Wow. I mean, wasn't that surprising news? Wasn't that shocking that after she was only in office for six weeks and then she chooses to resign, really very pressured to resign, not only from those who oppose her from the opposing party, but even from people within her own party. Um, I did a podcast interview, a Daily Signal podcast interview with Niall Gardner, who works here at the Heritage Foundation and actually worked for Lady Thatcher. And, you know, he said he thinks truly 
the one of the, the great flaws and mistakes that Liz Truss made as prime minister was not really holding to uh, to the principles that she was setting forth, to the conservative policy that she was setting forth. And by not doing that, by making um, uh, moves to uh, you know, be a little bit more lenient on certain policy issues and by giving concessions uh, to her opponents, in many ways she lost ground and lost support and put herself in a really bad position. Um, and now all of all of Great Britain is paying the price for that. Hey, there are. You know, um, and go ahead, Ted, please. No, you know, when she back backtracked on those policies, she said she was going to stand. I mean, the support left her immediately, and you know, she was at that honeymoon phase that didn't last too long, and like mm-hmm. a Las Vegas wedding. <laughs> That's yeah, <laughs> that is a good what way a to put it. Well, yeah. I, I know, I know. Well, I I asked Niall Gardner when I spoke with him. I said, you know. We obviously saw Boris Johnson pressured to resign. He resigned. Now Liz Truss. And I asked, you know, is is this a problem with the politicians themselves, or is it more so you know, the people of Great Britain just don't know what they want, and that's why these folks keep resigning? And he said, no, uh, really, there there have been um, some issues with with the policies that have been put forward. And uh, obviously, this is a great. Uh, a great moment for for Great Britain to decide what they want their future to look like. And there's a lot of folks, including Niall Gardner, who think Boris Johnson you know, may end up once again being the prime minister of the U.K. But didn't he get <laughs> ousted be for being just as wishy-washy? That. Yeah, but yeah. wasn't he ousted because he was just as wishy-washy? So you get one wishy-washy for another wishy-washy? Well, you know, I... <laughs> My hope is that if if the British people say once again that they have faith in Boris Johnson, that he'll get the message that he can't be wishy-washy anymore, that he needs to stand firm on these policy issues and really deliver. Uh, this is a way to be seen. I also heard rumors that there was someone else, uh, an associate of Boris Johnson, that may step in instead. I didn't know if you or Niall Gardner had heard anything. Mm, no, I I have not heard that, and Niall did not make reference to that. But it wouldn't surprise me. And I I think so many people see these uh, these times where it is quite tumultuous politically, as hey, what an opportunity to throw my hat in the ring. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating. I think we we might see some some really interesting uh, people come out and say you know they they'd like to step up and try and fulfill that role. Uh, but ultimately, it'll be really fascinating, I think, to see what the British people want. Well, it's, it's a good time for a dark horse to step in, you know, and that'd be very interesting to just who it would be and what's going to come out of the woodwork. And this is all going to unravel over the next week, right? Right. So um, in the coming the coming weeks, there will be movement, and we know that. Um, Liz Truss will remain in office as prime minister until her successor is found. Um, but very quickly, things could change in Great Britain. And my goodness, they have certainly had a lot of a lot of big news coming out of their nation over the past two months. Yeah, from the death of the queen, the ascension to the throne of Charles. But he doesn't get crowned until May next year, which I find very interesting. 
but then a prime minister that's in there less than 45 days before a resignation that's never been heard of in modern history. Uh, that's right. Great Britain is going under a lot, a lot of changes, and it's going to be very interesting to see where they go. But is this going to threaten their Brexit? Mm, well, that was one of the questions that I asked Niall Gardner, and he says yes, that Brexit you know, with with this shifting, with this changing, um, Brexit does hang in the balance. And he said, you know, he's concerned that if the wrong individuals come to power um, that are opposed to Brexit, they might jeopardize Brexit from moving forward. Um, and so uh, we we might, you know, end up seeing a very different Great Britain um, in the coming months and years. So that really truly all hinges on who comes to power, whether the the conservative party remains in power and is able to maintain um, maintain their power in the nation of Great Britain, um, or if the people, you know, throw up their hands and say, all right, it's time for a shift and a change. But it, it's true, Brexit is in jeopardy right now. Now, I'm just curious because we're going to have a midterm election here in just about two and a half weeks. Do you think whatever happens here may influence what may occur over in England? May it give people hope for a more conservative bent? Or do you think it has nothing to do with us and the whole world is just going to hold its breath and wait? Mm, You know, I, I think American politics does have a great influence across the world. The world, of course, watches very closely what happens in the United States. Um, Given that it's a midterm election year, that watching closely might be a little less, of course, than when it's during a presidential election. Um, But I think it's very possible that we'll see some, you know, shockwaves, obviously, at least across America and potentially the world. Um, But uh, it it is an exciting fall across the nation for better or for worse it's certainly not sure not is. a dull moment in history well, well, under let this me administration, ask you a question if i may oh, ahead, just Anne. make an observation first just observation but under this administration i don't think more than two hours go past with a wtf moment occurring <laughs> true no I, I agree with you on that with all the the flux in the world going on, when you look at the the geopolitical stance in the world, you see what's going on in Iran, you see what's going on in Cuba, South America, you have uh, uh, Bolivia. I mean, pick a country, there's stuff going on. And then um, Russia and Ukraine, you have what happened just happened in um, Great Britain. And then Scotland is talking again about, you know, becoming their own country. Um this was a time, you know, when we have this much angst and you throw in the economic strife going around around the world with inflation and things like that. Uh, what do you see the likelihood of where this is leading? I mean, I wrote an article and it was called the Prelude to World War III, and I hope I'm wrong. But when you have this much strife going on and this much dissent, not just in our country, but throughout the world, it's not a healthy thing. And there has to be a way to overcome that. But what what do you read in the crystal ball? Yeah, oh, if only we all had one of those, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, I I do think there has to be a tipping point, right? Um, right. That there there is 
a, a level of where I think the American people are are really tired of this train continuing to go downhill. And they're watching as the Biden administration has taken our country in a direction that many Americans can't recognize. I mean, when you have um, when you have girls in, in a high school uh, that can't um, have privacy in their own locker room because there's a biological male who says he's a woman who's going to use that locker room. I and mean, really, truly, you know, these are issues that you know, five to ten years ago people would have laughed if you would have told them that these were going right. to be the situations we were facing when people's free speech be a Saturday, is being Saturday Night Live skit. That's right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think there does come a point when um you know, the American people will demand there to be changed and of course that's where elections come in and that's the beauty we have of living in a democracy that we get to choose who leads our country. Yeah. And you know, we have to remember that, you know, when, when we elect people we're we are voting for their policies and their policy stances. And that's exactly what we have seen from the Biden administration is, you know, he has brought in all of the far left policies that he he said he was going to bring in and much, much more. And uh, we're we're seeing the fruit of that. And honestly, we're going to continue to see the fruit of that because there's there's no sign of change um, despite so many Americans, even now some Democrats, starting to criticize President Biden, um, he doesn't seem to be backing down from any of his very radical left policies. Well, I I liken it. Go ahead, Annie. No, I was going to say, it was going to be segging into the next thing I was going to ask, but finish your thought. Go ahead, Ted, please. Well, you know, you've heard me say this before about, uh, you know, it goes back to the Obama administration. We're going to fundamentally transform America. He had eight years to do that. Hillary Clinton was supposed to come in. Donald Trump was a spoiler. And now they're going right back to what they were doing under Obama. And they want to complete the fundamental transformation of this country. And, you know, over half of the country says, no way in heck you're going to do that. And, uh, you know, this is coming to a flashpoint in this country. I hope it's peaceful. I hope it's something that we get through with the next election. And you said that's why elections are so important, and it is. But the people have to be – they have to understand the issues, and they have to realize that Mm -hmm. elections have consequences. And there's not this utopia that the squad and the left is saying about socialism is going to be wonderful, it's going to be a utopia, because all you have to do is look at Venezuela 10 years ago and see where they are today. That's Mm -hmm. American. People didn't think what happened there, but it did. And we're not far from that. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, I think that's an accurate assessment. You you look at nations where where socialism has been tried, um, and everywhere it has failed. There is not one yeah. nation where socialism has succeeded. Um, and so to think that. <laughs> Um, for it's just really almost bewildering for anyone who can believe that that could could work and would be um, would be what is best for America. Um, the right. American people know what is best for our nation, and that is to continue to well, preserve. Half of them. <laughs> yeah, half of them. <laughs> Hopefully, more of them are waking 
standing up to it. Uh, but that's, you know, to preserve our Constitution and the principles given to us by our founding fathers. And I, I consider myself an optimist. I, I do think that, you know, America is going to be able to kind of pull through some of these challenges and, and right the ship. But it might be right I think you're for right. a while longer. No, we got to believe in the system, and we've got to participate in the system. And I, I believe in our system if we don't change it or allow it to be changed. Well, now you've opened me up for the next segue because you wrote an excellent article. And that this is another WTF moment. I will say one name, and Virginia, I'll let you go at it because you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> Stacey Abrams running against Kemp <laughs> in Georgia for governor. One of the oh. most brain-dead comments she ever made, and it was a WTF moment. Like, I can't believe that actually came out of a human being's mouth. This was this was very fascinating to see. So earlier this week, Stacey Abrams, uh, for those who, who didn't catch it in the news, um, she joined MSNBC's Morning Joe, and she was. The conversation was largely about the economy and inflation, and she said that abortion, she said, is an economic issue. Um, and I'm going to quote her words. She said, "Let's be clear. Having children." is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs for women. This is not a reproductive issue. So she was very clear that in her mind, abortion is an issue that's directly tied to the economy. And my goodness, to, to say that having a child is comes down to just an economic factor and that women should be allowed uh, to take the life of a child in their own womb in order to, uh, you know, help quell concerns over high gas prices and food costs. I think this, this is just more of the radical left showing their true colors, honestly. Sometimes, um, you know, as shocking as these things are, I'm honestly glad when the radical left just shows us this is really who they are. This is actually truly what they believe. And this was a telling moment that the world watched as Stacey Abrams said abortion, it's just an economic issue. It is to the point where I've said they look at us as disposable beings. We are no longer human beings, fellow human beings, worthy of life, worthy of our life and liberty and freedoms. We are disposable. And it comes down mm. to we have created a society where we want instant gratification and everything is disposable. Uh, paper mm. plates, paper napkins. You know, it, now we are not, worth nothing more than that paper plate your barbecue is just thrown out on. You mm. know, mm. that is how they view human life. It's, everything's around their world, and if it's good for them, then it's good for whatever else. But what you feel, what you think, what you want and desire is not important to them because it doesn't affect them unless we interfere with them in one way or another, such as restricting the taking of a human life through abortion or through any other method. And no, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. It interferes with their, 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 their feel-good moment. It's their feel-good mm. moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we have repeatedly seen this, this. Um, total uh, really ignoring of, of the beauty and the sacredness of life. I mean, what what group of people is more vulnerable than the unborn? And in America right now, 
my goodness, the American people have this amazing opportunity. Now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, all of that 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 did was it sent the choice back to the American people and their elected leaders at the state level to choose how we want to move forward on the issue of abortion. So the American people, they have actually more voice and more say over this issue than really ever before. This is an amazing opportunity for states and the people that live in those states to be able to decide and to be a voice for life, to stand up and defend those who can't defend themselves. Um, and this is, uh, I think, such a just a beautiful and awesome time that we have in history to celebrate the dignity of life and to remind all Americans that life is sacred all the way from the womb to the tomb. It sure you know, it's is. funny because, uh, well, I was going to say, my mom was with her church one day when they were the Supreme Court was debating this. They had this thing where we they stood in the corner. They all silently just prayed and holding signs, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I created these, t- t- these T-shirts that I really should put up on my website for people to get. It said, I thank God my mom chose life. And it was a Madonna-looking woman with a baby in its arms. And then I had a quote from Timothy on the wow. back, and I forget what it was. Oh, yeah, I knew you in the womb. I had that quote yeah. from yeah. the Bible on the back of the shirt. And, you know, everyone goes, where do I get one? And I really do have to put it up. But the, the sanctity of life, that that, that that being, being created, is separate from the mother. It has its own heartbeat, its own brain, its own mm. circulation system. It is, yes, dependent upon the mother to be nurtured, but even a baby born out of the womb is dependent upon the mother to be nurtured and natured. But, oh, then, then again, New York State says once it's out of the womb, you can still kill it. Virginia is yeah. trying to put yeah. past that. Right? Once it's out of the womb, you can still... The, the, mm. The disposal of the human life is unbelievable, which brings me into the other article you wrote about the firebombing of the abortion, the pro-life clinic. But if, if heaven forbid you stand in front of or in the hallway of an abortion clinic and talk to the women or sing or pray with them, no, no, you come away in handcuffs with guns pointed at your head, but you can firebomb a pro-life clinic and nothing happens. You don't hear hide or hair from the FBI. Yeah. yeah, this this really is disturbing, um, and we're continuing at the Daily Signal to look into these instances and to try and find out, okay, wait, is, is the FBI taking any action? Are there real investigations happening? We want to know. You know, for the group Jane's Revenge that has taken responsibility for so many of these t- attacks against pregnancy centers, uh, we want to know, okay, is, is there action being taken to actually in, investigate this group? Um, and it's incredibly discouraging when it seems like what appears to be really direct attacks against pro-life individuals um, who, you know, are, are trying their best to defend the rights of the unborn, um, that then, you know, you, you see them being attacked by people that um, are supposed to be preserving their rights. And uh, so it, it, it really is a, a critical moment, I think, in history. And we have to hold our, our elected leaders, the powers in government, accountable to say, wait a second, are you looking at all sides of this story? Are you looking at the full details of what happened? And uh, are you actually considering 
um, you know, who all of the actors are in this situation and doing your due diligence. Which apparently they're not. No, no, you'll you'll get raided in handcuffs because you stopped a pro-choice guy from harassing your son and you end up pushing him out of the way to protect your son, but you get raided, as Mr. Huck did. Uh, his house, the front door bashed in, his wife and children held at gunpoint while they handcuffed him for protecting his son from a tro- pro- pro-choice agitator. No, 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 no. But no, you fire Bama Clinic and, hey, hey, oh, no, that's one of the peaceful protests. Oh, yeah, like the 663 they had from Antifa and Black Lives Matter during 2020 and 2021. Well, you know, I've talked with the folks that run these pregnancy clinics, and, you know, they say all that they want to be allowed to do is continue doing their jobs, continue serving the women. And, you know, what the individuals don't realize who are attacking these pregnancy centers is they are harming the very women that they claim that they care about, that they claim that they're somehow helping. You know, these are are so often the women that go to these pregnancy centers. They are in really difficult and challenging situations. And these crisis pregnancies, they're providing um, the support of, of clothing, of resources, training for how to be a good parent, um, counseling, the mental, the emotional support. And these these clinics say, you know, now our role is more important than ever in a post-row world, and we just want to be able to continue doing our work. Um, and these individuals, they should be able to go to work and feel safe doing so and not have to wonder, you know, is my workplace going to be attacked? Um, that's no way to live, and certainly... Um, again, that, that's one of those things that we say as Americans, that has no place in our society. It has none. Well, we're down to our last few minutes on the show. Holy cow. Ted, even though you popped in and out, it went like wildfire. Um, people can find you, Virginia, over at The Daily Caller, where you are the senior news editor there, as well as you hosting your own podcast. When do you do your podcast? Right. So the podcast um, actually comes out twice a day, the Daily Signal podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Our morning show is an interview edition, and then the evening show is a top news edition where we bring you the top news of the day. Um, And then I also co-host for the Daily Signal a podcast called Problematic Women that comes out every Thursday morning. Um, And you can find both the Daily Signal podcast and Problematic Women wherever you listen to podcasts. Man, when do you got time to eat and sleep? Holy yeah, cow. Well, we certainly stay busy here at the Daily Signal, but we have a lot of fun doing what we do. <laughs> you guys I mean, do a great I job, I too. I half your staff. Thank you. I need half your staff here because I do this all by my, my little old lonesome putting it all together. Annie, I think that's amazing. Uh, I, I think what you do is impressive. <laughs> oh, thank really you. Is. Thank you. Well, I gotta welcome you back anytime you'd like. Just tap Tom on the shoulder and say, "Hey, listen, that crazy lady dead in South Carolina, get me back on your show." <laughs> Sounds like a plan. We'll make it happen. <laughs> well, God bless for the hard work that you've been doing, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure being with you. You betcha, All Virginia. Right. Have a great right. weekend. You too. Right. Bye bye. 
check out Virginia Allen over at the Daily Signal at Heritage.org. Ted, oh, man, uh, my head is spinning. We're down to our last five minutes here. And I don't know, are you going to be joining us uh, next week, or is Curtis going to be back with me? I don't know. Uh, he asked me to cover. Um, I don't know if he'll be back. Um, I am stationary. I'm not driving. I'm not traveling. I'll be up here in Georgia in the mountains. And, uh, um, yeah, that was a great show, the parts I caught. I'm sorry I had to get off there. But your topics and your guests are, are so informed, and they're so engaging and knowledgeable. And, again, the, the, I know that you and I have talked about this. The role of your, your program is to educate people and get them to go to the right sites. Well, I hope I do. I hope I do that and get them off their butts and, and get them active so that we can take our country back. Last time I said that, I said it to uh, my former state rep because uh, she was helping people sign up to become precinct representatives. And I'm, I'm my precinct chair, uh, chairperson, I think, for the last 10 years. And she goes, well, why do you want to join the GOP and be the precinct chair? And I said, to take our party back. Oh, boy, did I get something. Yeah. But it worked. It worked. We swung it well, back to conservatives, really and we succeeded. Yeah. As yeah it's it's it one really precinct is. at a time, and we can do it. Anyway, Ted, it has been a lot of fun. And we have next week uh, Mark Tapscott from the Epic Times will be with us, as well as with our heritage guests. Want to give a special shout out to those that were in the chat room here on Block Talk Radio, Facebook, and YouTube, and a special shout out to our friend Sweet Sue who was in our studio listening in. So a special shout out to Sweet Sue. Um, thank you for listening, and we will be back next week, same bat time, same bat station, Ted. All right. Well, y'all take care. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. And I leave everyone with the song from my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. So until then, I say good night and God bless. I have loved them.